in the bathroom. Meet you there. Meet me in the bathroom. <laughs> do you reckon? You got it, Carlo. <laughs> I absolutely, I do not recognize that that quote. In the bathroom. Meet you there. <laughs> so, oh, is that is that Arnold? No, it's that? not. Um, uh, <laughs> it, it is vaguely European, though. Uh, it's one of the more obscure um, Police Academy movies. <laughs> I think it's uh, Police Academy 6. <laughs> oh. Uh, Mission uh, to Moscow. Back. Mission to Moscow. Oh, uh, yeah. I love that movie. I mean, that that was the one that got the most airplay when I was a kid. So that's oh, what I've seen the most. The, yeah, I feel and, like the one I saw was uh, Citizens on Patrol, whichever yeah. that one was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, there, there's two really like main gags in in Mission to uh, Moscow that like are uh, my favorites, or they're the only parts that I remember actually. So one of them is uh, the commandant mm. goes missing, so uh, they hire like this bellboy guy <laughs> to basically pretend to be the commandant in mm-hmm. the and stay in the commandant's room, and all he has to do is every time one of the police academy people like knock on his door. He just says, in the bathroom, meet you there. <laughs> and, and every time he's doing it, he's like counting money because he got paid for it. And then, you know, it gets worse and worse because he's not a native English speaker. So eventually he's just like, meet me in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, I it's love, such a well, good gag. Yeah. I love him just in Police Academy in general. They're, they're just not afraid to go there. You know, like I remember in like maybe the third or fourth movie, there's like a Chinese guy and he just has like the thickest accent and he's just obsessed with Callahan's body. Oh man. And and just like, you know, American woman, you know, all all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm misremembering this, but is there a scene where they're dancing at the end and he's like totally buried in her boobs? Oh yeah. Like when they're dancing. There's many scenes so like that, yeah. <laughs> oh man, so good. And I mean, the the other gag that really stood out for me in, in Mission to Moscow too is um, uh, so uh, what is his name? The guy who does the sound effects, um, Jones. Yeah, yeah. So oh, oh, Michael Winslow. Yeah, yeah. So he, there's a part where he, um, they're they're going through the um, you know, the security check in the airport, and he keeps like making noises. The, the the sound so they have to keep like checking the person they have to keep going back and oh, yeah. i think it's that kind of asshole like uh um sergeant that they have one of the upper i forget his name he's the one with like the the sidekick too is kind of dweeby and <laughs> the side uh, the, the sidekick actor is like so funny yeah, yeah they're, okay. they're all great and then mission yeah. to moscow has claire forlani and she's gorgeous in it you know so um you know it has it works it's probably due for a rewatch i know like um Oh, interesting uh, connection to today, uh, March. Oh, no. <laughs> We're already way ahead of March. It's May 23rd, which is a weird day for HBO to transition into Max. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that, Steve. Oh, right. like, yeah. Yeah, they're now called Max, and they've changed their color. They're now blue. Um, and there's a lot of confusion about it. And it's like basically they fused like eight, the HBO movies and TV shows with Discoveries like reality shows and it's Mm. just such a weird combination to like have like succession right next to 90 day fiance yeah (laughs) yeah um but yeah that's where you can watch most of the police academy movies and i think i'm due like yeah i I don't think i've even seen the first one 
It's on like HBO. Or, or, yeah, or, or, or it's on Max. I mean, okay. It's now, yeah, Max. Yeah, yeah. yeah apparently, Max. Police Academy Mission to Moscow is the seventh. Oh, it's the seventh. <laughs> oh my God, they even reached number seven. Yeah, six. Wow. Six is uh, City Under Siege. Okay, I think I wow. saw that one too, but I barely remember it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, I've, yeah I think I've seen I've seen the first one. The first one is when there, there's like an insane scene where the main commander uh Lassard, he's like mm. giving a speech while he's he's giving a speech i think mahoney hires a prostitute and she's like, giving him a blowjob like <laughs> while he's giving the speech and i remember like as a kid seeing it and not really understanding yeah, it right, but now just yeah. being like oh okay i see what's going on here now totally yeah, insane there was this weird time when we were kids where you know even if it was like an r-rated movie it would have like a cartoon of it and police academy was one of those like robocop also had a cartoon mm. and then you know you could buy toys of these like r-rated movies and it was just like really strange so there was that just you know gulf i guess um <laughs> that you know it's like you don't quite understand and i, I think that was trending yeah. for a while on twitter recently too where people were saying like what was your favorite movie as a kid that wasn't really for kids or something like that mm. Yep. Yeah, RoboCop came up a lot. <laughs> totally, um, RoboCop's yeah. terrifying. My God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when when they kill Murphy, oh my God! Like, yeah, I I had to look away. Like, I I was squeamish when I saw that for the first time. Yeah, I don't like cops, and cops don't like me. <laughs> yeah, dude. Ed two oh nine is terrifying. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, that scene too. You know, I mean, I think that's the first super violent scene in the movie is when Ed two oh nine malfunctions. Yeah um but yeah uh cool yeah yeah. it sounds like we might have to do a police academy episode steve i know just like (laughs) on all like we have to do a whole series on like all seven episodes my god (laughs) yeah season three that's gonna be a season three project (laughs) police (sighs) academy each and everyone will break it down (laughs) and then yeah we'll give our rankings yeah the whole deal sounds sounds good good. all right so uh, just before we get into our um, appetizers, I just want to say, I want to give a shout out mm. to Jacob, Jacob Rivera. I want to oh. say, Jacob, you are the man. We got to play his jingle. Jacob, Jacob, Jacob Rivera. The Fashion Sports MMA and Boxing. On his Twitter, he'll give you a shout out. He's Jacob Rivera. Perfect. I didn't even plan that. <laughs> Jacob. There we go. Yeah, I was just texting Jacob recently. You know, he texts me on occasion, letting us, sure. you know, just reacting to our episodes, you know, and commenting and stuff. Aww. And, you know, obviously he had, he had some stuff to say about the Rocky movies. Oh, good. Um, And, uh, and you know, we've been discussing uh, basically him coming back on the show. And he gave me a list. I'm going to send it to you, Steve. And okay. We, we can go over it because I've seen all of them. Um, so okay. I think you're the you're gonna be the X factor. Like okay. what, what what on his what like favorites? Seen? Yeah, or yeah, oh. or what one would you like to either see again or haven't seen? And, this is exciting. Um, yeah, okay. and then we'll have him back for that. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's I mean, the guy. reason why I'm also saying that he's the man is he got me an early birthday present. Um, and yeah, I I didn't ask for it, but uh, he he's giving Your me birthday's an early... in like six months, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not till October. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, yeah, but he's actually the thing that he's getting me isn't actually arriving until August either, so because it's a pre-order. 
Um, and I, you know, I guess just to tease our audience a little bit, we'll we'll keep them on on tenter hooks, and uh, when it arrives, I'll I'll report back, and then okay, obviously give yeah. Jacob another shout out, and yeah, we got to play that jingle again. I love it. A little like a a tease, a yeah. carrot that we're dangling yeah, out there. Absolutely. Yeah, Sweet. but yeah, Jacob, you are the man. He is. No, yeah. There's no doubt, <laughs> no dispute. Yep. Undisputed. <laughs> Undefeated. Yeah. Yep. All right, All right, so shall we get into our appetizers? Let's do it. Here we go. It's time for movie food appetizers, appetizers, appetizers. It's movie food appetizers. Yeah. Perfect. So, um, yeah, we're we're kind of on a quick turnaround, aren't we, Steve? I mean, um, yes. We've, season we've two of... is rolling. There is no yeah. doubt about it. I was thinking, like, season, like, we were at a kind of a breakneck pace towards the end of season one and i was kind of like hey i need to take it easy on season two <laughs> but it's been really fun we just kind of dove in and it's and the energy is still there and we, we have guests and we have the whole thing and yeah we're back yeah we have a very special guest i mean all our guests are special but uh mm. this one it, it's unique we'll we'll get there we'll cross the bridge when we get there but um yes. But yeah, uh, it's uh, so since we have this quick turnaround, I think we have less appetizers than usual. I mean, we sure. also like just had that whole buffet a couple of weeks ago yeah. or a month I'm ago. Still full so. for, I'm yeah, still exactly. full from the spring appetizer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I'm just amazed that like I guess in that span of time between our last episode, which was the Super Mario Brothers one, that I I've, I've actually managed to fit in five because. Oh, this is one thing I want to bring up too, just as a precursor. Is um, I there's this <laughs> curse that I have now. I realize with the movie food Twitter, which is that oh, yeah. when I post something that's like okay, I'm, I'm uh kind of uh, giving my hand away a little bit here, but when I post something that's like a now watching sure. thing, I always end up falling asleep <laughs> uh. <laughs> to the movie. <laughs> So I, uh, you know, I never finish it that night. No, you know, sometimes I never finish it at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll just come back to it. Um, yeah. So um, it's the movie food curse. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's there. There's some tryptophan in that food. Oh yeah, I don't know what it is. The movie food. It just, uh, yeah, it has it. It casts a spell. All right, so yeah, shall we get into appetizers? So you only have a couple. Yeah, Carlo, what you got, man? Um, okay, well, actually, again, I have another precursor. Like the audience is now, wow, there's so many like precursors. Yeah. Uh, I also just want to say that, um, you know, right now the Cannes Film Festival is going on, oh, and okay. it's uh, I think it ends in like four days. But um, uh, from what I've been hearing about the movies and like the directors who are involved, like it's looking like one of the strongest, um, like uh, uh, slates that they've had in in years. Sweet. Like, yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm biased obviously because it's a lot of my favorite directors, but I just wanted to like just run a list of some of the movies that have mm-hmm. been mentioned um, that like I'm excited for. I mean, obviously everybody's like hyped about Killers of the Flower Moon and, you know, mm-hmm. mentioned my birthday. Um, yep. It's actually coming out on my birthday uh, in in October, so it's perfect. That's awesome. That's the birthday movie. Um, uh, but the one that I'm really hyped for, which I also posted on the on our Twitter, is um, Eureka, which is um, the latest movie from Lisandro Alonso. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think if there's a a year where there's a Lisandro Alonso movie, it's going to end up in my top 10 
Like, there's just no way. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just certain directors that, you know, it's they just don't miss for me. And he's one of them. And, you know, there's it's been a while. It's almost been nine years since his last movie, um, which was in 2014, Hauha. So mm-hmm. I'm really anticipating this one. It's kind of like... Uh, it's a Western, but it's also like set in modern day. There's like a lot of different, I, I mean, I like how cryptic it is. There's different mm-hmm. time periods and it has a uh, Viggo Mortensen in it, who was also in Hawa. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then um, Aki Kurosmaki, another favorite director of mine. He has a new movie called Falling Leaves. Wang Bing has Youth, which is, um, uh, he's this Chinese documentary filmmaker. And uh, yeah, he's known for making super long movies and i think mm-hmm. youth is is like four hours long or a little over four hours and i think it's only part one too so there's, oh there's gonna God. be another part of it yeah and then the one that uh people have also kind of been because it's also a director we haven't heard from in a while is um zone of interest uh, by jonathan glazer you know who's also it's also been since 2014 which was such a strong movie year as well mm. um he made uh, under the skin with um with scarlett johansson which is a uh, a favorite of a former guest of ours, K. That's one of our favorite Sweet. movies is, uh, yeah, Under the Skin. So Zone of Interest seems fascinating. But, yeah, the the movie I want to start off with is actually um, Return to Seoul. Mm-hmm. And Seoul as in the city in mm-hmm. South Korea, not Seoul as in, you know, body and soul. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, this movie has been getting, you know, quite a bit of... Um, praise it it actually is technically a 2022 release but i guess it's only starting to do the rounds in in theaters this year mm-hmm. um and uh yeah it was all right <laughs> oh <laughs> it's like, i mean that that was a part where i was really into it because it was like the score starts interpolating um uh, one of my favorite songs by bauhaus called the uh, bella lugosi's dead Sweet. And I was like, oh, shit, this is great. And then, you know, the, the main character is kind of an asshole, which I also like. Yeah. Uh, because it, it, it kind of follows the standard story of, like, um, this this girl who was basically put up for adoption. She got adopted by, by French parents. She's Korean. And so she goes back to Korea to find her parents, you know. And that seems like a pretty, mm-hmm. like, standard story. But because she's, like, an asshole... That makes it, it gives it an edge in a way, you know. Um, and the the actress who, who plays the main character, she's great. And I'm, I'm blanking on her name again, which I tend to do on this show. Looks like, <laughs> looks like Park Ji-min. Yeah, yeah. She's fantastic. And, you know, um, bilingual as well. You know, she, she speaks very fluent French. Mm-hmm. And um, the other kind of weird thing about the movie is that she manages to find, like, fluent French speakers in South Korea, which I'm like, okay. Like, huh. even when she goes back to the adoption agent, uh, uh, adoption agency, like, people speak fluent uh, French. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> they Dang. understand her completely. So it was bizarre. Um, but, uh, yeah, the movie also takes place over, like, um, you know, it, ha- it makes several time jumps. And, yeah, I just found myself just not caring mm. <laughs> as Dang. it progressed. So, but, you know, maybe it's just not for me, but some people... Um, I think really love it. So, um, yeah, I'm just watching the trailer now. Like all mm. the shots, like everything looks really well. Yeah, shot. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It doesn't look like most movies. I I like that it's it's very like um. There's a lot of deep shadows in it, and then there's mm-hmm. a lot of use of like neon lighting, which is nice. 
And there's a really good, like, dance sequence that happens, like, in the first, like, third of the movie, which I really cool. like. But, um, yeah, there's something about it. Like, I think I just needed more. Like, I wanted more of an edge to it. So, um, sure. yeah. And I, I just didn't get that. Or, like, more of a voice from the director, Davey Chu. I think it, it's already his, like, third or second movie. I'm not sure. But he had made a movie previous to this. So... I was just hoping that he was a more distinctive voice and it just I just didn't get that from the movie. Yeah. Cool. All right. So what do you got, Steve? All right. Um for my first appetizer, it's not so much a movie, but it's something I've 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 been watching over the last year or so. And so I I, I feel oh, like wow. it's t- it's it's time to bring it up. Okay. Uh, it's the Adam Friedland show. <laughs> um, <laughs> Shit. Okay. I think I really like the show. Mm-hmm. It's a YouTube show. Obviously, it's if you if you're not familiar with Adam Friedland, it is to come town what uh, a different world is to the Cosby Show. I guess, mm. yeah. <laughs> it, it, in a way, it's like it's it's spawned from Come Town, but um, yeah. I find myself rooting for Adam Friedland and Nick Mullen to try <laughs> to like create more mature, tighter content. With their talk show. So if you're unfamiliar, I think, Carlo, you are. Yeah. Essentially, Town was this very low-effort, lo-fi, talk-as-wild-as-possible, borderline-offensive podcast for, like, seven years. And, and like, hosted by three guys in their 20s. Yeah. And as they got older, they got more and more, like, depressed <laughs> and more and more... <laughs> Of just like sad and the feeling like what are what are we doing with our lives as and so they've now pivoted you know one of the guys Stavros has left mm-hmm. he's um you know he's all he's he's gone on to to stand up stardom his is he you know yeah he's doing really well yeah he's a a prominent Greek um, mm-hmm. and 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 that's a theme here with this episode we have because we have our our guest is another prominent Greek. But yeah. unrelated to Come Town, um, <laughs> yeah. so you know, so the remaining two guys in Come Town, Nick Mullen and Adam Friedland, decided, okay, we can't continue Come Town. Stavros has, has left. Yeah, let's, let's pivot. And so they pivoted to creating something called the Adam Friedland Show, and they're trying to do a center left talk show. <laughs> but basically, they've been a wildly successful Patreon pod for seven years. Yeah. They're probably all rich and and they have all this cash. And so yeah. they're putting it all back into the, it's a, you know, trying to make their own uh, talk show on the fly. And it's yeah. had so many failures, so many issues, you know, um, they basically, they rebuilt the Dick Cavett talk show set. <laughs> oh, that's where, what it comes from. Yeah. But it's and, so empty. <laughs> It's so empty and it's and like but it's cuz they're they don't know how to light it yet that they, they don't right. have the right cameras like everything like <laughs> but it's cuz they're doing it on their own. Yeah. And it was supposed to be this like quick it was it was supposed to be a funny bit like oh hey we're mm-hmm. going to do a talk show and then in like a month you know talk about it how it's going to be like this show that no one's ever seen you know it's yeah. like it's like once in a lifetime and then voila it's it's really just the dick cabot show and but but it took so long that the bit didn't like land and so now they're in this funny position of trying to turn out a talk show and also trying to like clean up their um you know their reputations and their (laughs) 
you know, because like they're thought of as being these racist, sexist, kind of like wild dudes, homophobic, guys. homophobic, the whole <laughs> yeah. deal. And maybe you know, it's like, and it, you know, it, it definitely brings up that question of you know, if you say horrible things, it does does that make you a horrible person, or or mm. is there still a difference between people who say terrible things and people who do terrible things, right? And, you know, that's kind of an interesting just thing to, to, to just explore for all of us. But just as far as the content that they're making, like, it's pretty fun. Like, their last talk show episode, they had Neil deGrasse Tyson on. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it looked like they were having a fun conversation. You know, it, it wasn't just your standard interview. And and they've had a couple of, of other interesting guests. And I, I just want to give it a plug because uh, it's on YouTube, it's free, and I like, I want to support them trying to yeah trying to like reestablish themselves mm-hmm. a- after digging themselves in a hole for seven years. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It it it's just hard to imagine because of you know Stavi was like such a he was mm-hmm. the laugh guy basically you know and that added so much to like you know the way Nick would riff. You know, because it would encourage Nick to keep going, whereas it's different when he's kind of like getting nothing about him. Oh, yeah. Well, kind of quasi sincere (laughs) um, pushback. (laughs) That's what I want to say, because like I'm I'm not really sure with Adam if he's like actually doing a bit or he's actually Mm -hmm. himself. Like, (laughs) right. It's a strange thing. And also that the fact that they made it his show, even though Nick is like the star. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's the one clearly who's more talented. I mean, you know, when yeah. it was come town, Adam was basically the butt end of all the jokes. Every you know, joke. it was like yeah. the two of them picking on him. Um, uh, so yeah, why isn't it the Nick Mullen show? Uh, is is even funnier that they went like you know, um, well, left field. <laughs> with, yeah, with... and that's definitely part of what's funny about the Adam Friedland mm. show is that it feels like you know it could just be a way of like putting every offensive thing onto Adam's name. Right. You know, and then Nick <laughs> just gets to live scot-free. Yeah. Like um, there was something that happened in the, you know, it was like a mini little Twitter burst that it might still be, be happening because I think there's still articles being written about it. They had the lead singer from the 1975 on their podcast, uh, Matt, Matty Healy. Mm. And basically, I guess he's a big fan of Comptown. So he, oh, wow. okay. so he was on talking to Adam and Nick and like trying to riff with them and Nick is riffing and they're doing all kinds of terrible, you know, like Japanese voices and making fun of <laughs> Scottish voices and, you know, just oh, doing shoot. all kinds of stuff. And, um, and I guess because Maddie Healy is like a, is like a tabloid level celebrity, all that stuff got picked up and got made the rounds in like the tabloids and like the Buzzfeed type articles. And so mm. he had kind of like a mini pushback moment on Twitter over maybe in the, in the winter. Cause like the fans, I think of 1975 are kind of young girls. Right. So, so yeah. all of them discovering the come town humor, you know, it was uh, pretty <laughs> shocking, I think. And I think he's, um he's dating Taylor Swift. That's right. Yeah, so that's another reason there's that crossover, you know, because obviously, like, Taylor Swift yeah. stands like, need to involve themselves in whoever she's dating, too. You know, it's not just her life. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's it's really funny, I think, how Nick and Adam have played that 
mini scandal into more comedy on their show. Like basically like they also do like sketches on the Adam mm. Friedland show and like all the sketches Nick, Nick is in and they're really funny. Like he plays Dracula and he, <laughs> when, when this, when the Chinese spy balloon stuff was happening over America, they mm. did a bit where he went, he was in a, a spy balloon going back over China. Um, so yeah, you can find all that stuff. Uh, man, on yeah, I, YouTube. I didn't know they did skits, so it really does kind of fit in that um, that kind of genre that Eric Andre paved the way mm-hmm. for of this kind of weird talk show with, yeah, you know, the host where you're not quite sure where you stand with them. Right. It's yeah, kind it, of yeah. It's 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 like that. It's like Comedy Bang Bang. Mm. It has, but it, but it's it's their own flavor on it, which is nice. And 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 more than anything, you can really tell they're driving it. And they're like um, trying to figure it out without a ton of oversight or like added expertise, which is pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, awesome. All right, yeah, definitely check it out. And I mean, I will say though, like how I came across that and then Come Town was because of the YouTube algorithm. So, mm-hmm. you know, the algorithm favors them despite the, the content of yeah of their stuff. So shout out to the algorithm. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> I guess somebody must be a fan on in Google. <laughs> All right. Okay, so um my next movie actually I I I want to recommend to you Steve. I think you would enjoy this movie a lot because it's actually from the director of Rare Exports. <gasps> and it's um Sisu. Sisu. Uh, yeah, I I I don't know when you came in when we watched John Wick 4. But it was one of the trailers that played before we watched the movie. And it was being compared to John Wick because it's supposed to be like this Finnish guy who's like this badass and he's killing Nazis and he's doing it in like various gory ways, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the the Red Band trailer, it gives you a lot (laughs) from that. Okay. And, you know, it's a short movie. It's only an hour and a half. So it's like in and out. You know, I mean, Rare Exports was also pretty short, right? Yeah, super short. Yeah, so yeah. I think, yeah, the, that director, he, he enjoys, like, just getting straight to the point, you know? <laughs> like, he doesn't yeah. waste time. And um, uh, my only real, like, I guess qualm about the movie was I wish it went further. Mm. And I don't know, I guess this this keeps coming up with me these days, like, with movies that just kind of fall short for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, man, why couldn't you have just gone a little further, like, make it more extreme, you know, um, the other strange thing about the movie is that it's it's in English. So, like, oh. the Finnish people and the German people are all speaking, like, you know, English with a European accent. Um, and I guess, you know, that makes it more appealing for international audiences. But then, like, and this isn't really a spoiler, the, like, the kind of, I guess, uh, closing scene of the movie... Uh, is in Finnish, in subtitled Finnish. <laughs> like, it's subtitled in English. And I'm like, that's just strange. Yeah, yeah, I guess maybe they were just afraid of, like, I wonder if there is a version that's Finnish that's actually subtitled and then the U.S. release was a dubbed version. Mm-hmm. But it looked like the lips were singing with the actors, so it seems like they were speaking English. But, I, I mean, I would, again, like, if I was going to take it to the extreme, like, just have the movie have no dialogue. Like, the movie still makes sense. Like everything is visually illustrated for you that it didn't need any dialogue. Like all the dialogue is just like icing, you Mm -hmm. know? 
Yeah. Uh, you you still get that it's like basically this guy, you know, he used to be this badass, um, yeah. you know, uh, like in World War Two, because it's like the, it's set like during the time that you know World War Two is already over. Oh, the war's already done, but like you know, it took a while to get rid of all the Nazis. You know, right. there's still like a few of them wandering around, and you know, they think that they're, you know, they're above it. So they they still are like wreaking havoc in you know the countryside. So, you know, they mess with the wrong dude, <laughs> just like yeah. in John Wick. They don't kill his dog though, and you know, I mean, that's in the trailer. So, uh, <laughs> I'm not spoiling anything. Um. But yeah, you can get that all visually. Like you don't need the dialogue in the movie. Like I don't think the dialogue really adds anything to it. Awesome. So yeah. yeah, I really like that actor. Yeah, the, the main person. Let's give him a shout. Yorm. It's like Yorma Tamila. Yeah. Okay. And he's he's in uh, Rare Exports as well. Let's just double check. Just yeah, he kind of looks like he could up. be a Santa. <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. He yeah. So he is. Oh yeah. So um. Yeah, and the director is uh, Halamari Helander. Yeah, uh, Halmari. Yeah, because you know the J is pronounced H. Yep. Yeah. Um. So I guess that. Oh, that's That's, Orma? that's the, the director of Rare Exports. Also. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so that's why I think you would enjoy this a lot. Love it. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. So check it out. Sisu. Very easy to remember title. S I S U. Yeah. All right, so what do you got, Steve, for your final? All right, for my um, final appetizer, it, yeah, it's one that you you know very well, okay, because it's a movie that you made, Carlo. Oh wow, this is Acquainted <laughs> with the Night, man, 2015 from our very own Carlo Pangalang in Labrador. Wow, um, thanks to the discovery of archive.org. Shout out to archive.org. <laughs> so it's just an internet archive, like this yep. website. It's a fantastic website. Yeah. And I've, I've been planning to like just save all my movies there. But yeah. um, right now, you know, everything's just up in the air because they got sued and I think the mm-hmm. lawsuit was successful. So the site actually might get shut down. So yeah. the, they've actually gone nuclear and they've started like just uploading a bunch of copyrighted stuff yep. on there, which Hell is yeah. hilarious. Uh, yeah. Like you can download like full albums and movies you know, on there. It's all there. But yeah, it what, was such a great a resource. You know, like it was just people sharing stuff, and you know, they they basically checked that it because I yeah. think it it started as kind of a Creative Commons type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know the full story of the the lawsuit, but it was something to do with like I guess a it was a shitty book to begin with that somebody I guess uploaded the the EPUB or oh, the God. PDF on there. And they got sued for it. Someone just got, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I, I just wish they had the same lawyers as the Pornhub lawyers because, you know, <laughs> that's how Pornhub got out, out of, like, all the lawsuits was they were like, well, you know, we're not responsible for what people upload on there. Yeah. <laughs> like, we can delete it for you, but, like, you know, they're going to upload it again. Like, that's yeah. how it is. That's wild. Know. Yeah, Man. so uh, we don't we have n- no idea how much longer Internet Archive is going to be around unless maybe they get some sort of benefactor to like swoop in and save them or it might not be the same as it used to be like it might still be around but but yeah my movie's on there the longest movie I've ever made is on there wow. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 certainly long, but it's it's really it's really cool idea. You know, you have all yeah. all these amazing long. It's a, a series of long shots, a couple you know mixed in shorter sequences with some motion, but you know, series of long shots, 
usually with a person hanging out, just observing and being a part of a sort of, you know, that twilight landscape as things fade from, you know, evening to dusk. Um, and yeah, just, I guess, I, I mean, I just really wanted to ask you just, um, what was it like filming it? What was the initial idea? Like, did you film one of them and then decide to like do a series? Like, how did it come about? Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because it's like it's so far away now <laughs> from Eight years. Yeah. yeah, and also because the next movie I made after it, I'm still making right now. <laughs> I'm still like editing yeah. it. Sure. Um, but yeah, I've come a long way from it, so it, it's mm-hmm. just um. Sure. Uh, I haven't watched it since uh, I finished editing it, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, I and I am actually curious um, uh, to hear what your experience of watching it was like. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it was still a phase that I was going through. I think when I was in New York, I was just finding myself as mm-hmm. a person and as a filmmaker. And leading up to New York, I was, I actually thought I was a documentary filmmaker. Like that's really, I -hmm. I thought that was the key for me because I started out making fiction, but I just was increasingly bored with the results because it was always just like a direct translation of what I wrote. Like there were just no surprises. And then I realized like documentary was really it, but not the documentary where it's like you have some sort of agenda or you know you're educating people about something i like the idea of like spontaneous life so i was like uh, inspired a lot by you know direct cinema and like mm-hmm. cinema verite like you know the, those type of documentaries mm-hmm. and yeah it really set me free i was just like man i can just like f- and you know new york is just this place that has these spontaneous things happening and i guess one of the things that i carried with me from my fiction stuff was i was just really obsessed with long takes Mm -hmm. um and i loved filmmakers that did long takes i mean i've mentioned james benning before uh bella tar was also a big influence on me but the the crazy thing now just looking back on it is that i realized that it was like you know wearing a suit that didn't really fit me you know (laughs) like uh and and i can see the problems with that movie too because it's just like um and i have such a distorted sense of time so I would lose sense of time while I'm shooting the shots. And then sometimes I realize like I should have held it for longer. Mm. Uh, but like for some reason, because I lose sense of time, it just like I felt like I've been filming for, you know, like hours, but I've only been filming for like a couple of minutes sure. or sometimes even a couple of seconds. And it's very challenging when, you know, <laughs> the idea yeah. for the film is like you want to capture sunset as it's happening. Yeah. And um yeah, and I, I was just fascinated by that idea. I just like, okay, this is gonna be a very simple setup. I can just like film a friend um and then watch it go dark because th- that entire moment that it takes for you know um the light to change, it only takes about twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, that actually that you know, that magic hour, the yeah. quote unquote that people think about. And you know, just going back to something that simple as kind of a way of starting over. That's how I felt. It was like, and then you know, there was some setup with it because I would bring a friend to this location, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I, I'd really planned it to be a, an entire year because I was like, I wanted to film sunsets in different seasons. Oh, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's what you get in the movie, but it's not chronological. Like you know, there. Uh, I think the the first one that I start with, it's actually. Um, like tail end of summer so it's starting to get a little colder 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I filmed in different seasons and I filmed in like locations that I liked. And then obviously I liked the people that are in the movie too. And then, you know, I, I was just like finding different variations um, on what I could shoot. And then, you know, the thing is, if you live in New York City long enough and you're filming it, you realize like things are changing all around you all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what was happening. Like I realized like that was the kind of um, uh, uh, subtext of the piece was just that, oh, it's also about a city changing and like people kind of coming and going because some mm-hmm. of the people in in that uh, movie, you know, like either I've lost touch with them or they moved out of the city and then, you know, eventually I moved out of the city. So it was just like it. it yeah. It's about like literal time passing, but it is also time passing, I guess, and you know me getting older. And the other crazy thing about this movie is uh, like similar to this movie I'm making now, is that I struggled with it for a bit. Like I was on this like roll when I was making all these documentaries. Like you know, there's all these short pieces that I made, and it was such a like creatively fruitful time for me. Mm, but cool. somehow this like film like stopped me in it in my tracks like it really slowed me down um yeah i spent like a couple of years making it uh because i actually started in 2013 and or maybe even earlier than that maybe it was 2012 actually um i can't remember (laughs) it's all a blur but um but yeah i really struggled with it like i i even just like didn't touch the footage for a while which is the same thing i i'm i'm really trying to break that pattern now i don't want to be like sitting on footage for years um and it was this weird thing of like basically i had like a four hour cut of it and um just one day like i woke up and i it just made sense to me like i realized okay this is actually how it needs to be cut and i just like cut it in one sitting and then it ended up being two and a half hours um yeah but yeah i want to ask you steve like you know i mean obviously you know me that's probably part of your motivation of watching Mm -hmm. it but like how was it for you? I mean, you can be completely honest with me, sure. you Because know, I'm, I'm totally yeah. separated from the film, and you know, I appreciate okay, cool. like, yeah, honest feedback. So, I was really into the idea. Like those first mm-hmm. couple, you know, settings were, you know, you're set up, you know, and then you're finding a, a place to be still, and then you're just hanging out. It was really cool just to hang in there and watch it. It, 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 it you know, because it gives you time to think. And it just mm. reminded me of like all the sunsets and all the times I've had to like actually slow down yeah. and watch a sunset or try to just be observant of that passage of time. I maybe have done that in my life maybe 10 times. It's it's not a lot, you know? And then when you think about just how many days you've been around, it's just kind of like mind boggling like that. Um, how am I not stopping to watch this more? Right. Was kind of how I was feeling. So it was like really stirring a lot of emotions, kind of thinking about all, all like the favorite sunsets I've seen either, you know, on the West coast or on the Gulf coast also has beautiful sunsets. Um, but then, yeah, also, you know, it is long. And so I had to, <laughs> yeah. I had to wa- watch it in chunks. I kind of, no, you know, I, I, you know, I had to kind of, do it do a little have it on a little bit in the back it became a little mm. bit of a background film towards the end which yeah. maybe w- wasn't like the best way to kind of like no. really f- feel it but um 
but also like I it was it was at times giving me kind of the nerdy chills or kind of like um making me feel anxious thinking about you in public filming <laughs> yeah. and just what that energy is to like oh yeah to like be in in a public setting like I've you know I've done that a bunch you know because I've been in bands you know mm. you know for, for a long time and and so not every show is like a nice sanctioned club show or party show right. sometimes like you're in like a space that feels like you're in public and nobody want, and it's just you, you you feel like invasive mm-hmm. so like sometimes I was, I was i was just getting that nerves for you of being like my man carlo and, and this <laughs> actor or you know a friend you're hanging out and and, and and you're taking up a public space and like what's that what's that like who's passing behind you you know all right that kind of stuff yeah so yeah, that was my main takeaways, but um God, man, it's uh it's it's a really cool idea. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, yeah I mean dude. with the with that nervousness, yeah, that's I I guess that was pretty palpable then cuz yeah, I think that was also part of my discomfort of filming long takes was just that I yeah, you just never knew what would come in and then ruin yeah. that shot and then you would have to like go back there again and oh, do it again. Gorilla, you know, for another day. Yeah, that gorilla energy. Oh, yeah, and that God. person might not be there anymore cuz I mean, you know, even when I was filming the documentary stuff, that was just something you would encounter all the time where somebody would stop and mm-hmm. like they would wait for you to like get your shot, but I'm just like, no, just keep going. Like don't that yeah. that's another thing I have to think about is just you like s- s- you know standing there waiting for me to finish my shot, right. you know. I'd rather you just walk through it. And I mean, you know, most of you know New York citizens don't care; they just right. walk through shots. They you know, and that's what I would prefer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it it was I think something that I needed to get out of my system because after that, like I think, even though I I guess I started this current project with doing certain long takes like. I've decided to just cut it up completely. Like that that's really more my speed now, I've realized. I've always been kind of an ADHD person, mm-hmm. but I was in denial of it. And you know, you were talking about it. It's just like this whole thing of taking that time to meditate and pause, you know, and that that's important for me, you know. But I think even with like fast cutting now, I it's still important for me to create that kind of transcendent feeling, mm-hmm. you know, cuz that's that's all I care about at this point anyway. Like, I'm not interested in telling a story, you know, and they're saying, well, no, all movies are narrative, right? But, um, you know, it's just that certain, the majority of movies give you a story. Whereas, like, yeah, I guess movies that I'm drawn to, I like that there's these open spaces for you to kind of fill in the gaps Mm -hmm. and bring yourself to the experience. Like, I like the idea of, you know, a proactive creative experience, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I like I, an example I would give of like a work of art that's like that is actually you know James Turrell's uh, Sky Spaces. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them, Steve. No, not. Um, so he has these like sky spaces, and <laughs> coincidentally to this work, they also are best seen at sunset and uh, sunrise. Uh, a lot of them are not open during <laughs> sunrise, but um, they are open during sunset. And they they vary. There's different kinds of sky spaces, but the one that I have like the easiest access to from where I'm from is actually in Pomona College, uh, in Claremont, because uh, I think that's where he went to college. So he actually made a sky space for them, and it uh, that one in particular is actually a terrace, and there's like a square that's cut out in the center of mm-hmm. the yeah. the roof of the terrace, 
And as the sky is getting darker, the light around the terrace is changing colors. Oh, cool. And it's very slow and gradual. So you really have to sit there and basically just experience it for, you know, that duration of like 20 minutes where the light Whoa. changes. And because the square is such a perfect like border to the sky, um, you can see the light change on the edges of the sky too. So it, it's it's incredible. Like, And the thing is, you know, because it's out in Claremont, you don't get spectacular sunsets out there. <laughs> you know, oh. It's rare. Um you know, you, you get the spectacular sub sunsets near bodies of water. You know, that's really where the, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And I think the first sunset in this movie uh, is by, mm-hmm. like, a lake. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, th- those are really the places because of the way, I guess, the light reflects on the water. and um, But, yeah, the what James Turtle actually added in, in this one in um, Pomona is there's actually a, a fountain. It's kind of a fountain. It's like flowing water. It's more like a pond, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a perfect square underneath it. But the the only thing with that is that you can't lie directly underneath the square that's cut in the roof. Whereas right. some be- of the others you can. Of the, yeah, be- because of yeah. the water. Yeah. yeah, the one in New York that's in MoMA PS1, like, yeah, you can actually just lie directly under the square. Because uh, that one is called Meeting, and it actually recreates, like, a Quaker meeting room. And so it's got like the seats and yeah, it's incredible. Like I used to go there all the time. Um, So yeah, I I definitely believe that's important. And, you know, I was definitely inspired by, you know, James Benning visually, but also like his philosophy in terms of, you know, he's saying like there's a contract that you um, set with your audience that, you know, basically, well, you know, you wouldn't really sit and watch this for 10 minutes, you know, on your own. Mm-hmm. So by me locking you in this dark room, um, you know, you get to watch uh, this thing and actually appreciate it. And then, you know, it's preserved for that period of time. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah, the thing that you were saying about like it playing in the background, I don't I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Like, uh, you know, I, I think the, the role that these movies play is more of an ambient thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, even Love Diaz says that about his films, which also have like you know, ridiculous running times, um, that he wants it to be like, you know, you can just have the movie playing all day at home. And then, you know, you're right. you're you're familiar with the beats and then you see that moment and then you sit for a bit and watch it. And then, you know, you leave again, you do whatever you need to do. That's and, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of the openness and also just yeah. you like involving yourself because even James Benning acknowledges it that, you know, even when you're just sitting there watching something like a single thing for a certain amount of time, like your mind starts to wander. You know, you start to think yeah. about your groceries or your bills or you know, certain things sure. that, that you've been thinking about um, start to creep in. But he says like, yeah, that's, that's part of the experience too. You know, it's not like you have to be like so laser focused and like present, even yeah. though that, that is like another experience in itself. I mean, that's, that's why people do mantras and, you know, transcendental meditation, you know, that gets them to that level. So I think there, there's a place for cinema like that as well you know yeah um yeah i mean it really reminds me of like music how mm. you know there's like some music that i want to really focus on and yeah. you know and so that can be more you know like i, I really like really heavy music mm-hmm. at times and like it's really encompassing and like i'm listening to everything and it's but it's also distracting in a right. way it's like 
but then there's music that I just want to put on, have on in the background while I'm doing family yeah. things. And it's more of a vibe. And, uh, it didn't really hit me that like a movie could have that same intention yeah. of just being, yeah, it doesn't have to hold your attention, even though th right. that's what, that, that's what they're so good at is holding your attention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I think it's just open. I mean, a movie we've discussed on this pod before, I feel it exists in that space too, is Patterson. You know, Patterson mm -hmm. doesn't really demand your attention, uh, even though you can watch it like from yeah. start to finish. But yeah, you, even just putting it on the background, it's a great like ambient movie. Right. You know, so I think there there's a place for that too. Like I think, uh, I forgot who said that quote, but it's a famous quote of just like that all great art aspires to music. And I think that's really it. It's like, you know, you see a painting, it can have musical qualities, you know, it, it can transport you and transcend the same way music can. And I think, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely movies can do that. And it's funny because um, I was talking about my influences then versus my influences now where I'm really am more inspired by music and musicians than filmmakers mm -hmm. and and um other movies you know because that's where the ideas really come from i mean we discussed this off record how i'm like i'm reading john cage's silence and i think yeah. that's really where my films are closer to now and what mm. i want to make moving forward is like um stuff that yeah maybe uh people find more interesting in theory than in practice but i think uh you know i really you know, we've discussed, a, I guess this is kind of an encompassing thing of of our podcast and our range is that, you know, we've discussed like movies, uh, the movie we're going to discuss as our main feature, our main course mm -hmm. is, is like, uh, you know, completely different from what we've just been discussing. Yeah. Um, yeah so I love that this is like in here right now. It's like a <laughs> yeah. kind of a precursor. Uh, but yeah, like I, I think, you know, from my creative standpoint, like, I mean, I... I wouldn't mind directing a Fast and Furious movie and I would probably insert some of myself in it if they would allow me to or I'd mm -hmm. have to be like very sneaky about it. Sure. But at the same time, like, you know, there is this thing where I I really do subscribe to like kind of being a selfish artist and like, you know, not con considering the audience and not like pandering to them and that, you know... Um, yeah. That, like, like, yeah, like I, I could totally see in like Fast Twelve, there's like a beautiful scene <laughs> of like Ludacris just like staring off at a sunset for just like yeah. ten seconds too long, and, every, and everyone's no, like, well, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've moved on from that, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, there would be some weird stuff. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. I, if you're interested, Steve, I'll, I'll send you. Uh, I can I can send you an excerpt from what I've been working on lately, um, so you'll see where where it's heading Sneak now uh, versus yeah, it's actually a piece that I can't show anybody. Like, I'll never show publicly because it's like uh, I'll explain it off record. But <laughs> okay, yeah, I got um, you. I'm picking up. Which uh, but yeah, no, what I was trying to get at in terms of that is that um, yeah, like the, there is this part of just I subscribe to the idea that the process is more important than the final product, you know, like mm -hmm. in terms of like, how do I feel when I'm making something? Yeah. Like, you know, that, that, and yeah, people will say, Oh, that's indulgent. You know, you're, you're, you know, um, you know, you're basically like, a, um, a masturbatory filmmaker or whatever, but like, sure. no, I, I, I think like 
there's something that David Lynch actually talks about too, even though he actually achieves that medium of basically like he does something that he wants to do, but there's also people on board with it, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, the ideal, but, um, but he talks about that too. It's like, you know, you can either, you can either like pander to people and like do the, what the, um they want or do what you want to do, but either way you're going to lose. You know, I'm I'm right. kind of um, paraphrasing it, but it's like yeah. that kind of thing that it's like it's a lost cause either way because you know if you're if you're doing what you want and what satisfies you, like yeah, you're gonna alienate people and people might not want to watch it. Um, mm-hmm. But then if you're doing it for them and then just doing that, then you're also like kind of losing a part of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so yeah, I mean that that's kind of been my. Um, my journey and I don't know where it's heading now. Cause I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I've said it for myself that I need to finish this film this year. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, and you know, I'm just been chipping away at it. There's yeah. certain days I slack off and it's just like, you know, I, I, I hate myself for, uh. <laughs> for doing that. But you know, I, I try not to be hard, too hard on myself because when days when I'm making like huge progress, it's like, yeah, it's revelatory. Like there did that whole experience. And, you know, once it's done, that's it. Like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited to move on to something else. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's the rule that I have is like, I can't start anything else until I'm finished with this, this film. Yeah. And I'm only planning it for it to, for it to be an hour long. So oh, cool. that's also a challenge I've set for myself. It's, wow. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. So like a movie that's like, uh, I guess, so I started in 2015, eight years now in the making. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, to yeah, I like that idea of somebody like working so long on something and then they just come up with like a poem or you know, oh, totally. like a novella. Like, well, I, I'm totally attracted to that idea, <laughs> just I like making you. something I, tiny. I'm so excited. I, yeah. I, I, I encourage you, I but I'm also like, I'm not rushing you, very yeah. supportive. Thanks, man. I think Appreciate it's very it. cool. It kind of reminds me of, you know, I put out that EP in October. So it was just like yeah. a three, a three song EP, but I hadn't put anything out of my own, you know, uh, that, 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 that was like my music, you know, mm. quote, quote unquote in like 12 years. And a lot yeah, of those man. songs I had just been, have just been germinating in my head on long drives over the last 10 years since I've been a dad. You know, yeah. just like the kids are in the back, they're listening to Frozen or they're listening to whatever, and I'm driving and daydreaming and like thinking about a song or thinking about a melody. And it just sometimes, sometimes things take a long time, but then when you finally get that missing piece and you put it in and it all comes together and you're done, oh my God, it's so fun, dude. Yeah, man. And, um, and also, but yeah, I think the main point that you're hitting though is it's not just fun to be done. You want to enjoy this whole sorting right. out the puzzle process. Yeah. yeah. And the the whole idea of flow, I don't know if you're familiar with that book. Um, it's by a Hungarian author. Like he was basically studying artists and like how, you know, artists who are like at the top of their game, they get into that flow. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, when, when I feel that sometimes I'm like, not to say that I'm at the top of my game, but like when I'm getting to that point where it's just like, it's, it's flowing just like, yeah, when I, I came up with that two and a half hour cut in, in one sitting, yeah, like that was just it. Like it, it, I was, it just made sense to me. And I guess also that's the other thing that's evolved from me, uh, from who I was when I made acquainted with the night to the film I'm making now is that, uh, yeah, my influences really lean more towards like 
trusting your gut and like um, making something intuitive and understanding movies that way too. Like when I see a movie by a filmmaker who also works in that mode, like that already instantly has me on board. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, an example I would give is probably um, Nick Rogue, who's who's made like narrative movies, but there's like these flights in his movies which are just like so bizarre where it's like it, the edit doesn't make any sense in like a logical like um kind of flow but mm. uh it absolutely makes sense in an intuitive way like he had an understanding of cinema that was just like incredible like i mean I, my favorite movie of his actually is not a lot of people like it is is bad timing and the, the title couldn't have been more perfect cuz it's about like this relationship falling apart but like the the chronology of it is completely jumbled like mm-hmm. there's just, like there's no order to it but it's also like a detective mystery which makes it even you know more compelling because you're like okay what happened like why did they break up you know it's like Mm -hmm. uh but yeah that's that's really now i guess where my mind is creatively is like leaning more towards like chance operations and intuitive things whereas yeah i've kind of i think i can i can still do like some long take stuff but like i think it's not as organic to me as you know something that actually is more just weird cutting like i i really am leaning more towards editing now and exploring that like you know also what the image can become Mm -hmm. so yeah and i guess it ties back to what i was saying previously with um you know how i wish certain movies would do more um that's really it it's just like i like when people are pushing the boundaries of what you can do with the medium Uh, there was also a recent interview with martin scorsese and it's funny how people have different interpretations of like one part of it where he's talking about like being 80 and like feeling like he's still discovering things and he like he keeps needs to keep going like he would love to like take a vacation and make a movie at the same time you know Mm. take a page out of adam sandler's book yeah. But, but no, like yeah, people were sad about that. They're like, oh man, like he's he's finally realizing like there's more possibilities of cinema. Whereas for me, like I thought like that's actually like inspirational and a really hopeful message. That it's like, man, yeah, even now at eighty, like he's pushing it because I don't know, Steve. Have you seen the trailer for Killers of the Flower Moon? Yeah. It's, oh yeah, it I sent it to amazing. you, right? Yeah. 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 Oh man, yeah, and it's just like you can see like he's still trying different things in the trailer alone you know there's already people who have only seen the trailer and are just like sold on it you know mm-hmm. sure um so yeah that's really it like i think um i i love when people are still like discovering things about movies that it's not just about like telling stories and i find myself just bored with movies that just like they shoot it in the service of like a script you know which is basically theater and, you know, if you really want to treat cinema as its own medium, like, I really think you've got to find ways of expressing yourself through it in a different way, you know, um, sure. that isn't just like what's been done before, like, you know, what people think are the rules. Um, so, yeah, that's really it. Um, awesome, yeah. Marlo. Yeah, that well, the- yeah, thanks, yeah. Steve, for, for watching the movie. I mean, this was not my... <laughs> I, oh, sure. I was a little, you took me aback when you mentioned it when we were planning for the episode. I was like, wow, like, you know, I, I didn't think you'd watch it. But, yeah, you know, sure. if you're interested in the shorts, you know, the shorts are... <laughs> I've, I've, I've made a lot more shorts since then, so, cool. um, you know. Are those also on Archive? Uh, they're not. Um, okay. I think some of them are on YouTube, but I do have, okay, cool. you know, I, I keep my own personal archive, so I could always just sure. send you... 
um, the link. Yeah. So, all right, sounds good, man. Okay, so um, yeah, uh, I guess my next one, and then be- after this, actually, we just move on into the other sections of appetizers. So this is my last kind of free, okay, cool, free safety <laughs> movie, sure. and it's related to what we've been discussing about music because music's plays such a big part in these movies, and it's a uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so um, you know, it's James Gunn's final Marvel movie uh, after he got fired and then rehired. Yep. <laughs> and you know, it's the best thing that could have happened to him because you know now he's the head of DC. Um, yeah. Or at least their their DC movies. Um. So, yeah. So it's a weird thing. Like I didn't watch two. I really enjoyed one. One was like it, it's still probably my favorite Marvel movie. Um, mm-hmm. I skipped two because I just heard bad things about it, and I just felt like, yeah, it was like lightning in a bottle with the first one. Like I just didn't think they would be able to repeat that again. Sure. Um, but yeah, so this one is kind of wrapping things up. You know, it's 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 a farewell. It's a swan song, and I think you know it it mostly sticks to landing. Um, yeah, I was really affected by it, Steve. Like, uh, man, oh, especially cool. the musical parts. You know. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's always, I, I love how this is one of, I think James Gunn's like master touches is that he used Disney's money to get a lot of these, these needle drops, you know, but mm-hmm. he, he has a weird taste. Cause it's like, you have some like unique picks and then he'll have something like, you know, Jackson five, you know, some generic stuff that's like True. packaged with a lot of these soundtracks, um, but yeah, the, the ones, uh, in this one, like he really knocks it out of the park with like space hog. Like it's part of like a, a sequence where they, they land on this, um, this, uh, <laughs> this kind of, I, I don't know if it's a planet or some sort of station, but it looks like a really long colon, uh, <laughs> like an intestine. And yeah, there's like all these inventions, especially with that whole sequence that feels like a James Gunn movie you know and considering how impersonal a lot of marvel movies are you know it's nice that he has his touches and then you know everybody talks about the rocket um origin story which it focuses on a lot and how you know trigger warning a lot of people are affected by it because of um uh the animal cruelty and animal torture and stuff um in it but uh you know it's all cgi animals and i guess i can differentiate (laughs) i can separate myself enough but yeah i was still affected by it too and man like uh i'm not a fan of um florence and the machine Mm -hmm. but like this isn't really a spoiler but that's the song that like uh james gunn like sends everything home with yeah is um what is it dog days are over um and it was just man i i cried yeah. like i guess just oh man that the everything that happens in that whole ending sequence with that song playing i was just yeah oh here was another crazy thing too about the movie uh like i watched it with jr and we didn't know it was 3d <laughs> oh like um we like there was no indication on the ticket yeah. and i guess like when we walked in the theater you know how the the person who checks your ticket usually like hands you the glasses. Mm-hmm. Nobody was there. It was like somebody who was, I guess, sweeping up. So they were just like, okay, I'll check you. And so they didn't even know that it was 3d, but like at one point in the trailers, cause I didn't know that that's the transition point is usually they start playing 3d trailers. Right. We're like, Oh, this is a mistake. Like the elemental trailer came on and uh-huh. it was in three It's like, put your 3d glasses on now. And then we were like, what the fuck? 
And then uh-huh. we started looking around and he just like, we just assumed that people around us were wearing glasses, you know, cause That's it's kind of so dark, funny. but it was like, no, I, I kept on looking. It's like, no, these, they're like wearing shades. Like these are <laughs> 3d glasses. I had to run out and grab them. And then, yeah. And it works out in the end because, you know, the 3d glasses covered my tears. Yeah. <laughs> Got oh, to hide, yeah, yeah. hide behind the 3d glasses. Yeah. And it's funny because yeah, JR probably didn't even know that that happened while we were watching it. Uh. But like, <laughs> I'm admitting it to the, like the larger podcast public. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. That's okay. Um, Hey, but hey, yeah. Hey, hey, did, uh, did JR cry? No, he didn't. He hated damn. it. Oh, <laughs> he, he he was like, I think I'm done with Marvel. Uh, he, <laughs> he didn't like yeah. it. No, he didn't. Uh, I mean, so it's not a perfect movie. It's very flawed. Yeah. Like it's the script is a mess. Uh-huh. Like it just like keeps like <laughs> yeah. hopping around and like doesn't really have any focus. Yeah. Um. And it's then two even and the half hours. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. You feel it because uh, like there's a there's a part that already feels like a climax, and then you're like, oh wait, there's more. And then you know mm-hmm. you couple that with the you know because of the Marvel thing, like it probably had four, um, post credit scenes, you know. Um. And then uh, yeah, it's just it the plot isn't even that big of a deal. It's like it feels like it's a special two-hour episode of the Guardians of the Galaxy TV show. That's yeah. really what it felt like because it was like, oh, you know, um, they got to basically rescue, like, Rocket has something. I, I mean, I don't want to get into too much of the details for people who haven't seen it, but, yeah. like, yeah, they, they need to save Rocket, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, you got to do this in order to do this, and then, you know, it's that kind of plot. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was... It, the thing is, yeah, the characters are so charming. There's a lot of funny parts in it. And then, yeah, the music carries it through. And it, it's just this weird thing, too, that I also had, like, this, um, I guess, dissociation, which was that, you know, I'm... Uh, a lot of these Marvel movies, like, I, I think people were so affected by Endgame because they had, like, gone on this journey yeah. with these characters. But me, like, having this gap of not seeing the second one, I eventually watched it before watching the third one. Yeah. And I I was like, yeah, it's not that good. Um, yeah. But uh, I didn't carry that whole thing of, like, oh, man, like, the emotional part of it is, like, I'm saying goodbye to these characters that I've, you know, I've mm-hmm. grown with for, like, the past decade. Um, but, yeah, it, it still affected me in the end. And I think... It, it, I really think it's the cast, like just the way um, their their performances are really good. I like that uh, for one character, it doesn't end in a sentimental way. And that actually affected me even more that it was like this character like made a choice not to go back, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I was like, yeah, that's that's great. You know, I love that. That's the choice that they made. Um so yeah, Guardians Three. I mean, you know, if you're you're on board with it, if you like the first movie, you know, you would like this third one. But uh, if you you you're uh, you know skeptic, it's not gonna convert you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I cried. That was it. That's good. Okay. All right. So yeah. So so Guardians got you to cry. We got hmm. so we got we got uh, uh, After Sun got me to cry. So yeah, yeah. We're, uh, we're, yeah, we're full, full rocking on. and rolling here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, that might be a category at our end of the year show. Oh, best um, cry. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What movie made us cry? That's good. All right. So, yeah. Well, let's get into our sections. Uh, I got three more. Um, oh, baby. Uh, so, I guess now we have our first corrections. <gasps> okay. Yeah. 
Corrections and retractions. Damn it, I thought we were going to have a perfect season. I know, but... yeah, we had such a streak, but, I, uh, uh, you know, all streaks yeah. end eventually. That's right. Um, yeah, so, and, and, then, and, you know, it gives us hope for next season. Absolutely, yeah. We can start a new streak after this. You know, yeah. it's like days since our last accident. We'll be all right. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I'm correcting myself because... Uh, I basically said that um, David Gordon Green and Danny McBride were both from North Carolina. They're not. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I I didn't put in my notes where they're originally from, but they're not from there. They're, they're still, like, from the <laughs> okay. South. Okay. Um, But they met in North Carolina because that's where they went to college. And then, yeah, their first few movies are set there, even though, like, I think Danny McBride actually moved to S- South Carolina for his show uh, Righteous Gemstones. That's where he mm-hmm. shoots it. Um, yeah, he's from but, Georgia. Yeah. yeah, oh, from Georgia. So there you go. He's still from the south. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's my correction. And then just like kind of an additional kind of addendum to it. So I I watched Bo is Afraid again. Mm-hmm. Um, doubled up. Nice. Yeah, and I I this is why it's in the corrections is because I'm taking back its Carlos Cannon. <laughs> oh. I'm retracting <laughs> its Carlos Cannon status. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll put I'll I'll reverse the Carlos Canyon jingle and I'll put it in right now. Yeah, sneak that in. Um yeah, it, it didn't hold up, man. I don't know what it was. Like uh, I enjoyed it so much the first time around, but uh I think partly well, I wasn't seeing it in the same format. Like IMAX helped it so much. And the the theater that I watched it in, the, it it was just like the volume was too low. Oh. Like it, yeah, it really made me notice like the quiet parts of the movie, and I wanted it to get louder. Like you know, I I was just like hoping like oh, sh- why isn't there like some sort of like ambient drone going on here? It's just so quiet. Right. Um. And yeah, I I really do think it was the theater I saw it in. Like I don't think they turned the volume high enough because um it just uh yeah i could hear people eating ruffling whatever their packaging of their food (laughs) and stuff like that sipping from straws like you could hear all of that you know Mm -hmm. and it was funny because that that screening i initially watched it in imax like uh you know everybody walked out that was it but this one it had violent reactions like people were like what the fuck was that you know it's like yeah this this was already on its last week run like it was only getting like one showing a day at this right. point and like yeah the couple next to us like the guy was just like what a bunch of bullshit you know uh. <laughs> it's just like you know so irate and i wasn't i didn't hate it but it was just yeah. like i couldn't recapture how i felt the first mm-hmm. time around you know it, it's yeah, not like, like was there just like some velocity or some hmm. some like energy in that first watch like like a feeling of seeing something fresh or new yeah and yeah. also because you just had no idea where it was going i think yeah. now that i knew where it was like i think that's so much part of the enjoyment of it is like you yeah. know you're like wondering how yeah. where it's going and i did say that uh, even the first time around, like the momentum of the first third of the movie carried me through like the the parts later on. Right. And yeah. whereas this time like, it was just like I didn't feel it. Like it was just like yeah. I mean I still laughed. You know, it's still a very mm-hmm. funny movie, but it just like didn't quite hold up. But you know, maybe uh for home viewing I'll turn I'll you know, turn the volume to eleven, full yeah. blast and see and might enjoy it again, you know. 
So yeah. who knows? But like, it's weird because I I felt like it was a more steadier film than last year's like disaster piece of people hated that was three hours, which is Babylon. But Babylon mm. held up on a second scre- uh, screening, second viewing, and I didn't think Babylon would. Um, so it's strange that that's the thing. It's like the mess that Babylon is like actually helps it. Um, so yeah, Bo is afraid. I'm retracting. I'm taking away your uh, your badge. Okay. Of Carlos can turn on, turn in your badge and your gun. Um, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Hit the road, Jack. Yeah. So uh, that's it. Well, okay. So let's move on to um, uh, Scott. My Scott take. Okay. Scott take. All right. What you got, Carlo? All right. So very short. Um, and it's actually relevant to what we're going to talk about. Um, it's, uh, I, I realize like, I really don't like when action movies take a breather. Mm. Yeah. It's just, um, something about like, uh, I don't know. It really kills the momentum of the movie. What's a, yeah. What's a good example of, of, of like a, br- a breather? Um, so it's usually when like, uh, let's say it's, it's a chase. Um, so they, they'll have this moment where basically, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, <laughs> it's funny that the, the first example that comes to my mind is this, um, Anthony, um, is, is his name Anthony Edwards? I'm confusing him now with, um, with the basketball player. <laughs> Anthony uh, Edwards but, was in like a doctor show. Yeah, yeah, right? he was in ER. So uh, yeah, so there's two Anthony Edwards. Yeah, so Anthony Edwards was in this movie called Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that's the first example that comes to my mind, <laughs> but it's like a chase awesome. movie from the eighties, eighty-five, our favorite year. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's a part where the the movie takes a breather and it's just like it just it never recovers from it, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, why why can't okay? So I'm thinking about the opposite of like a movie that doesn't take a breather, um, because it basically just um, right. it gets it all out of the way at the beginning. And I, I guess this is what I'm trying to get at with with the whole breather thing. It's stuff that I don't really care about. It's always about like oh you know the this main character's past and like how he's haunted by it. Like you know it's like their kid or dead wife, you know that kind of thing. Like when when they're trying to get all of that and they're cramming it into this action movie, I just want to see action, you know. Right. <laughs> like, yep. Um, and actually, I, I kind of want to rewatch Gotcha now again. Yeah. <laughs> like I no, want to do. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I was like, wait a second. I feel like I've seen this. Yeah. 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 The, uh, actually, you know what? Be a good double bill with this movie is a uh, run with Patrick Dempsey. Okay. <laughs> Those two movies, I think, would be a great double feature. Right. Yeah. Oh, man, I love Run. Uh, yeah. so um, but yeah like it's just most action movies do this and you know the movie we're gonna talk about is guilty of it too at a certain point yeah. I think like my interest flagged at that point and I oh man yeah. I'm trying to remember now if, I, I don't think I brought it up but anyway um, uh, so uh, a good yeah. example I think of a movie that doesn't take a breather or like kind of organically fits the breathers within the movie and it's a gold standard is Die Hard, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And uh, the thing with Die Hard is that the genius of it is that they get all of that breather stuff out of the way in the first 20 minutes. 
you know that's one of the things about Die Hard. It takes a while to get started. You yeah. know, like there's this whole thing of like they're establishing the Christmas party. You know, the estranged relationship between you know John McClane and his wife Holly. You know, all of that. They get that all out of the way in the first twenty minutes, and then once the terrorists come in, then they start shooting up the you know the office. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, we're on. Like that's really yeah. it. And any pause that they take, it's like it feels natural to the movie. It's like, you know, it's, it's, he's in between shootouts. He's like, you know, in the vent or, you know, it's, right. it's still like exciting. And, you know, obviously um, I think Bruce Willis is just such a charming presence that you could just yeah. watch him like smoking right. a cigarette. You know, right. Like, yeah. And so I guess, yeah, what comes to mind for me is like in, in, in the Terminators, mm. you know, they're going, they're going, and then you'll get a breather when like they're licking their wounds or yeah. they're, they're adding stitches to an arm and they're, mm-hmm. they're having to talk while they're, you know, in yeah. that position or something. And like, so like, that'll be a little bit of a breather, but it maybe is a little, le- a little more tasteful, a little less momentum killing. Than, right. Yeah. Yeah. Than, I mean, you know, I think else, yeah. Cameron McTiernan, these directors, like they knew how to pace their movies, you know, it's like, they, it never, yeah. cause even like aliens, you know, it takes a while to get started as well. Oh, but yeah. once it does, it's like once they get all the, you know, the drama and whatever it may be out of the way, it just never lets up. You know, there's mm-hmm. just a way that you can do it. And I guess that's really what distinguishes our best action directors from, you know, the the ones who are just like on kind of a carousel of like, oh, who's available? Let's get this guy, you know, and right. we're going to talk about the director of, of this movie or, you know, that's coming up. Um mm-hmm. Cool. But before we do, uh, just my last thing in our mm-hmm. appetizers, and we can wrap this up. Um, yeah, is Carlos Cannon. Here we go. Carlos Cannon. So something else is going into Cannon? Oh, yeah. So uh, we're removing Bo is Afraid. It's been demoted. Yeah. Um, and uh, we're, we're sneaking something else in, which is actually only like, a 16th of the running time of Bo is Afraid. Um, and that is uh, The Curve, uh, which Curve. is a short film from 1999. Okay. Directed by Edwidge. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. Edwidge, Edwidge, Shaki. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a curiosity. It's just such a weird, like, one-off. So Edwidge Shaki... She's she's the director and the writer of the film, and she's also the lead actress. Um, and she never went on to do anything else after this. Like that was it. <laughs> oh. She made this short film. Um, she was in. Um, it was actually kind of like a companion piece. So, uh, the the backstory is like Eric Romare, the director, actually had her in uh, a movie um, that he was making. She was starring in it. And she made this short film, and he was the producer. And people say that he had a hand in, in guiding her and kind of co-writing the script. Um, but yeah, she just disappeared. And I looked her up because you know she, she could have been a star. Like from mm. what I can see from this movie, she could have been a great director too. Um, she's now like a career psychologist. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And I, I had to make sure because I was like I was seeing all these things. But you know, she has a very unique name. And then I, I saw on YouTube, like, there were these talks, like, these psychology talks, and that was her. It was her, like, giving the talk. And I was like, oh, okay, so she found a career in that. Maybe she just she just needed to make this film. But, you know, 
She made it count. Like, you know, as as far as it goes, like, people will make, like, terrible bodies of work, you know, where they don't have mm-hmm. one, like, good movie. But she makes this one short, and it's fantastic. Um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a very simple premise. It's basically, like, about a guy who's kind of um he's he's a student of of art like uh he's not an artist himself he's more like a scholar of art so he appreciates art um so he he's also he's making like real life connections with art and he encounters Edwidge Saki who he thinks her body resembles like a lot of like famous works of art um so he starts making those comparisons and then there's this whole thing like yeah you know it, it sounds like on paper it would be the most boring movie because it's just their ongoing mm-hmm. discussion like uh the main body of the film is actually just them having like a long conversation about it and her pushing back on like this whole thing of like oh do you just see me as this object and like what is you know the purpose of a muse you know but it's just so well written and then you know the way that she incorporates herself as like this beautiful you know presence and also like a source of inspiration and just a gorgeous body is incredible you know and just to have those ideas like going on in the short it's brilliant you know and it it really is a great short film awesome Um, how did these shorts come onto your radar because i definitely appreciate you're able to kind of like view these watch these because every short that you've recommended that i've seen i've like really enjoyed yeah um so yeah strangely enough this one uh i think it was on the criterion channel so um but it was also like in the the criterion like eric romare box set and it was so weird because it was from his early movies so it was like his movies from like the 60s yet you know there's this film from 1999 on it so it was just such an oddity um and cool. you know I'd been meaning to watch it before because you know I'd seen screenshots from it and I was like oh yeah I I mean you know <laughs> you see like a voluptuous naked woman and it's like but yeah the the way that it makes you interrogate that the whole idea of like the gaze and what the sure. purpose of a muse is to an artist and like you know wanting to be empowered as a woman and not just seen as like an object of desire is is really fascinating you know and she really explores those ideas cool yeah so that's a that's a powerful idea it's one that's mm-hmm. you know, it's like you know that it'll be with us for a millennia yeah and, uh, absolutely yeah. yeah it's something that we'll yeah we'll constantly be exploring um sure but yeah i i, I don't know where it's available other than the criterion channel um okay, uh, cool. I, but i could probably point you in out. the right dire- direction cool. yeah sweet all right steve so we made it Ooh. oh man this was a lot longer than i expected for uh it's okay uh but it's a good thing we didn't subject our guests to it that's right we, we had some healthy appetizers our guest is a very busy person an, so yeah. we pre-recorded ha huh. yes we pre-recorded this main course it's a thread off of you know something we've really developed here on movie food is just re-watching an old favorite right and rewatching some of our guests' old favorite, and uh, and so our guests suggested a movie that is, uh, yeah, I think you kind of hinted at it earlier. It's on the opposite end of sort of a long ambient watch. This is very much a short, focused action watch, and it's a 1990 classic, marked for death, starving Steven Seagal, and um, and yeah, it was a fun conversation with uh, someone 
who I've I've developed a, a working relationship with uh, is Petros Papadakis. All right. Let's just yeah. I feel like we've kept the listener long enough, so let's just get them into this great conversation with us, talking about marked for death. All right, Carlo, we got really special up today. We have a guest who is uh, one of the all-time great communicators. I like to think of him as sort of a revolutionary and just all-purpose fun talking. Kind of does it all. He's the co-host of the Petros and Money Show on air five days a week and a wildly popular podcast. It's Petros Papadakis. What's up, Pete? Hello. Good having uh, your voices uh, loud and clear, and I'm ready. I'm ready to, to discuss things. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, so, so here on Movie Food, we, you know, one of the many threads we got going in this movie club we started is to kind of look back, movies from the 80s, 90s, movies that we loved or we think we loved just to see if it holds up with under a rewatch. And when I asked you what was one of your favorite movies, this suggestion came out pretty quick. So we're talking 1990s Marked for Death starring Steven Seagal. I guess, just yeah, just what's your history with this movie? Why is this one of your faves? Well, I mean, I could have gone in a few different directions, obviously. I like yeah. like talking about movies. I don't really know anything technically about movies more than any other novice type of person. I, I do sports talk radio, and in real life, I'm a football analyst, or I'm supposed to be. But I, I do love movies, and I love culture. And I could have tried to be super highbrow and, and done The yeah. Third Man or some of the movies that I really enjoyed in the last few years, like Sonatine or, oh yeah, I don't know, uh, Das Boot, Amadeus. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I remember walking out of a series of movies. Uh, this one was 1990. Uh, and, you know, just like that window of time, like 88 to 92, I went to a little uh, Lutheran private school for middle school and junior high called Christ Lutheran on Western Avenue in San Pedro. And right across the street, they built kind of an outdoor mall and it had a theater. And it was very easy, you know, for our parents to drop us off and we would see all these movies and there was no such thing as you can't get into a rated R film. No one cared. And... I just remember walking out of all these like Jean-Claude Van Damme or Steven Seagal movies and being like, that's the best fucking movie I've ever seen. <laughs> like almost every single time, you know, you turn to your friend, you know, your pig-nosed yeah. friend in the eighth grade and tell him, you know, that's the best movie I've ever seen. And then, you know, couple that with uh, a, some people know this about me. I, uh, we, I'm uh, interested in Jamaican culture. We had a Jamaican nanny when we were kids because my parents worked at a restaurant at night and uh, we learned a lot about Jamaican culture from her and I mean she was really Jamaican uh, and uh, and I just kept uh, seeking out Jamaican culture you know long after she left and when we got to be in high school we went to concerts and once the internet became a thing you know I was able to check the Jamaican newspapers and watch Jamaican TV. So I've always been really into Jamaican uh, stuff. And and this is a Steven Seagal movie about uh, a real Jamaican uh, issue or a real topic that was an issue in the United States in the uh, in the late 80s, 90s, 
which was the crack uh, epidemic, which came from a group called the Shower Posse in Jamaica, which was a real thing that used to, quote-unquote, shower you with bullets. So uh, this, this, the storyline here is a little far-fetched, as all Seagal movies are, but uh, it is based in some truth, which is the crack epidemic in, in the United States at that time and how it was perpetuated, really, uh, by one Jamaican man, which is pretty amazing. Awesome, yeah. Uh, Seagal films, for me, they all kind of blur together. Like, I can't mm. really remember which is which. So it was good to kind of tease this one out. And, man, this thing really has a lot of, like, it gives me a lot of the same feels as, like, Commando. It hits a lot oh, of yeah. the same beats. It's, like, absolutely crazy at the end, and it's got, like, a mission prep scene. I know, Carlo, you've been kind of delving into Seagal films recently. Like, <laughs> like how does this one sort of stack up, in your opinion? Um, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, I, I'd meet, I'd been meaning to get to this one cause, uh, yeah, it, it, it's part, I mean, it was one of two movies he made, I think that year or, um, he did it with heart to kill. Right. And I think that's where I, 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 I started my Seagal, um, journey was with heart to kill, but you know, like, um, under siege two was always like a HBO staple for me as a kid. So that was basically my like dark Seagal. territory. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Col- Colorado movie. based with Catherine <laughs> Heigl. Yeah, exactly. And set on a train, it has one of his best villains in uh, Eric Bogosian. Fingers you know? cut off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we get a lot of limbs cut off in in Seagal movies. I noticed that. Um, but yeah, I, I've been just like going through them, like just sort of random order. Not really like whatever yeah. I'm. I've been feeling like I. I would skip forward sometimes, like I watched Exit Wounds as well, and I think that there was a commando uh, connection with the with Bill Duke with that one too, and then you know DMX stealing the car from the car yeah. dealership at the oh, beginning. Yeah. So, nice, um, so yeah, I've just been gradually going through it, and uh, yeah, it's fascinating because I I don't think it's very fashionable to to be into Seagal movies at this point in time because of you know all the stuff that's come out about him. And his reputation. So oh, good um, luck enjoying any movie ever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's true. All right. All right. Well, let's celebrate this movie. Um, maybe just start with like some general thoughts and takeaways. Like the first, like some of the things I thought was just um, it's definitely fun to see them like tie in football, and that uh, his buddy is like a football coach, and it lo- it seems like Seagal. Like, was it alluding to the fact that he played linebacker? Oh, or something? Didn't you see the trophies? In his childhood room? <laughs> Fuck is wrong with you guys? Did you watch the movie? I mean, it's clear that John Hatcher was a football star and a star DEA agent that's going through a personal crisis because his friend was shot right in front of him right at the beginning of the movie in that uh, uh, Spanish whorehouse. I mean, my God, he's going through hell. That was a great opening. That so opening he had to go kid. see his yeah. friend. I think it's uh, is that Keith David, the actor? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, it yeah. is. Fantastic. From freaking Juilliard, and <laughs> and and they chop it up, and he's got a yeah. bone to pick with yeah. all the crackheads in town because his uh, nephew died, yeah. uh, overdosed on crack. Right. I mean, we're and- talking about a guy who's looking for peace, who's thrown into an interpersonal conflict <laughs> in his own freaking suburban hometown. Come on. Ooh. Thank yeah. you for the reminder, Free Jeez. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you this know what else happens personal. in rural Illinois? Like, uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> suburban Chicago. 
I mean, the Breakfast Club, freaking yeah. Pretty in Pink. Mm-hmm. I mean, Home all alone. that's going on, and the backdrop is Seagal's freaking driving through your mall and killing people right in front of your mom <laughs> when she's shopping at the Bed Bath & Beyond. I mean, this is a special movie. Yeah, Hell yeah. I love it in his room. Yeah, he has both the trophies and then sort sort of a like a almost like a gun collage. That's just oh yeah, right and there. he builds like, a gun to show how engineering uh, uh, minded he yeah. is. Yeah, and his real childhood photos as well. Like that's actually him when he was younger. Yeah. Big ball he and did. skull. <laughs> yeah, but before we get there, it kind of establishes that he's this is a religious man. You know, a- after all the mayhem in the opening scene, well, he's in a confession. Yeah, he's Catholic. I've lied to. Inf- I've I've taken drugs. I've lied to informants. I've slept with uh with the informants. enemy. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's very. I got uh, that quote. I got that quote right here. Here we go. Father, I just killed a woman. I've lied. I've slept with informants. Yeah. I've taken drugs. I've falsified evidence. I did whatever I had to do to get the get bad the bad guys. guy. <laughs> I realized something that I had become what I most despise. <laughs> That's the truth, man. So yeah, P, you're right. He's definitely going through it. Um, and uh, I guess yeah, it was nice to you know establish that we got Keith David in this movie. I know mainly from the, the Thing, yes, 1982. Yeah, and, he um, was also yeah. Uh, Mary's dad in uh, There's Something About Mary. Don't make me have to open up a can of whoop ass oh now, my yeah. God. Good <laughs> That's right. Yep. Um I also like this movie's got a lot of voodoo. It's got a oh, lot well, of Oh well, come uh, on. You got the Jamaican dark arts and you have the, the, the Cuban guy or whatever he was supposed to be. The that that they that they wrestle uh, the, the drug trade away from yeah. in this suburban Chicago town. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which is pretty I like awesome. That. Yeah, I like that he knows like like which diviner to go to is like the strongest, and the and the diviner kind of consults the shells or consults the no yeah she consults the shells. She kills a chicken to get after Screwface. Screwface yeah. feels it, and then goes after the Latin gang. Uh, bloodbath ensues. Seagal was there when the at bloodbath the ensues at the local yeah. kind of sports bar with electric guitar music. Seagal <laughs> ends up beating the crap. Out of a dude, and he goes, Me you know, but I swear he is a dead man walking. And then Seagal <laughs> yeah. knocks him out. Oh, man. So many good quotes from the Jamaicans here. But uh, I pulled another quote from this pool hall scene, but I wanted to get your guys' take on what what's happening here. Some hormones in here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so this is when Seagal and Max are just kind of kicking it. And at first I was like, you know, I thought I heard what I thought I heard, but then I go and check the, uh, the subtitles and apparently according to the subtitles and the subtitles could be wrong. It just, it says some hormones in here, which makes it like, like, is there any possibility that that's the actual line that they're talking about the hormone levels in this pool hall? Well, I think we should break down also how Seagal delivers his lines. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's always like a, a flat tone to it, you know. He's like the calmest guy, <laughs> no matter what the, the situation is. He's always like, um, yeah, he's delivering at one level, and that's mm-hmm. it. Like uh, maybe it has to do with his like new age like mm-hmm. um, approach to things, but yeah, like it's it's really hard to to determine whether that was the line or it was like 
it, yeah. um, the subtitler just interpreted it that way. Yes, it's hormones. That, I think it's just something that people were more likely to say back then. You know, people were talking about, you know, that people were hormonally looking for a mate, I believe, was kind of what they were uh, hey. referring to there. Yeah, a lot of hormones in that, in that pool hall. No yeah. Doubt. Okay. So, yeah, so after this big shootout, this is where we meet Charles, and, and we see the first markings on the wall. Well, and that goes yeah. with the uh, the theme of the movie. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, they mentioned, and P, you could probably say the line better about what does it mean when a man faces a screw? You know what I mean when I say a man faces a screw? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. A, that's a well, screw face in a Jamaican lore is like the devil. Like there was an old whaler song uh, called Screwface Knows Who Feels Frightened. Uh, so screw face would be like demon face or devil face. Mm. And... You know, he did have those weird eyes and some creepy scars. Yeah. Yeah, and he's actually played by an, an actual Jamaican. Yeah, it would be kind of hard. Like, that's one interesting thing about this movie as we move along. Like, as Seagal, like, beats up Jamaicans and, and goes on his rampage because they shoot his niece and she needs to be treated like the president of the United States and he threat physically kind of threatens a very frail, old-looking doctor. Uh, but... uh as he beats his way through every Jamaican guy available, you know, uh, with via extras or whatever casting call they had, they just started putting wigs, uh, dreadlock wigs on guys yeah. and, and running them out at Seagal because they, they ran out of real dreadlocks uh, early, actually, <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, yeah, and as we know, like dreadlocking is like a, a long uh, process. Like it takes a lot of time to to get those dreads, man. You can't just grow them. And they're more prevalent now, you know. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't be as hard now. Uh, they're more popular of the hairstyle, but back then, like if you had dreadlocks, you know, most likely you were a practicing Rastafarian or 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 somewhere there in between, and uh, or one of those white Rastapasta guys. And, and uh, that's, you know, that's hard to find, you know, in like 200 of those guys that are in Hollywood that want to get beat up by Seagal. Totally. Yeah. And I think even when the, the actor who played Charles had to audition, he he's American, but I guess. Yeah, from it, New Jersey. Yeah. He had to put on, you know, a, that convincing Jamaican accent and sort of had it the whole time they were filming. And then I guess in, in the IMDb trivia, it says the last day of filming, he confessed that he's from New Jersey and then Seagal turned and never talked to him again. Interesting. You know, most uh, there's a lot of Jamaican people in New York and New Jersey, so he probably had Jamaican family. Like Shaggy, the, one of the most famous modern reggae stars, is a New Yorker who fought in the first Persian Gulf War in the early 90s. So, you know, and you talk to Shaggy, he's like, you know, I'm in big to do the music, you know, so... Yeah. Uh, uh, it's not unheard of, but I'm sorry Seagal had that reaction. Par for the course, I suppose. All right, so moving along after the pool hall scene, I think uh, we get Screwface talking to his crew about kind of some of them getting... Well, because the guy beat up Hatcher. Yeah. Hatcher slapped the guy, yeah. and Screwface is, has come up from Jamaica to suburban Illinois and <laughs> is challenging his army of crack dealers who are so small time they hang out outside the high school and get 15 year olds addicted to crack right 
And so with that, uh, I pulled another quote. This is from that next scene. Here we go. Let no man here fear for his own life. Them that wish I and I to be left in poverty and squalor will themselves be damned. If a man commit a crime against you, he must be paid back a thousand, One thousand times. <laughs> Man. So, yeah, definitely shout out to the actor that played Screwface. He is giving it his all. He is going for it. He Basil is Wallace. loving this role. You yeah, got to, yeah. you know, you got to get after it. You know, you can't, you can't half step Screwface. And right. uh, I like the, the good, uh, Good Old Testament Rastafarian lingo, you know, poverty and squalor, you know, that kind of thing is uh, smite him, you know, uh, it's uh, it's it's it was the kind of thing that inspired a young Petros Papadakis, I can tell you that. So then these okay. guys come back after Seagal and they shoot the niece and then Seagal gets, you know, now you've set you've yeah. set the death of everybody in motion. Yeah, so yeah, they shoot up Danielle Harris. It was cool to see her in this movie. She's the niece. And I felt like, uh, you know, in the hospital scene, pretty decent acting from Seagal there. He, well, I don't know why he has to threaten the doctor. You know, the doctor yeah. seems like a nice guy. And I don't know why he has to, like, step to and, like, literally physically bow up on the doctor. I thought that was a little much. I know. I was surprised he let his sister like hit him in the chest so many times. Like I was surprised he didn't like toss her in like, Oh, he's so tough. He, you know, he's yeah. fine. He played football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. So yeah, moving along at some point we get to uh, the Jimmy Finger scene. Oh man. Yeah, kind of got a, a lot of balls on this guy to kind of step to Hatcher in that scene wearing like a thong and he's Well, like, he's a made man. Like you're not supposed to be able to kill a made man that's kind of a whole thing and it carries over into Seagal movies. And yet Seagal yeah. just shows how little he cares by shooting Jimmy fingers in the head and saying, God made men. And then, you know, just to show that they're even crazier, the Jamaican guy jumps out of the window to kill himself as to not uh, feel Screwface wrath, which is interesting. That's right. And then we get this quote once, uh, once he gets back in the car. Well, one thought he was invincible, the other thought he could fly. So, they were both wrong. <laughs> it actually had me like Googling, like, can you survive like a jump if you land on a car? <laughs> I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah. But then again, I don't think I've ever seen it happen for real, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and again, like, this is where it reminds me of Commando, where it's like, I don't know if, if you could get away with these kind of quips and have it be so charming and so damn cool if Arnold hadn't kind of paved that way. You know what I mean? Well, I yeah, don't know. I mean, I mean, Seagal's got a lot of personality, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, joking. He is a charmer. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I feel like that was a trend, though. Like, they would even get a specific kind of ghost writer to come in to just write these quips like that's that was their job was just to do the one line well i mean in, in truth what are we talking about you know and like we're talking about in a lot of these movies like you know dozens of people have died and there's bodies laying everywhere whether they were criminals or not i mean it's a horrific scene uh, it's the kind of thing that causes people 
to have nightmares for the rest of their life. So uh, when you have a guy that's inflicted most of that damage, is able to insert some levity into the situation, which is the spice of life, it makes everybody feel like what they're watching is okay. Yeah, yeah. It makes it more fantastical. Absolutely. That's why I feel like a lot of these movies hold up or, you know, a lot of the violence at least holds up because it does make it fun and, you know, it's like not realistic. And that's kind of what, what you really want. The um, There's a website called All Out of Bubblegum that I checked for this movie. It kind of gives like the body counts of every movie and every actor. I was I felt like there was a lot more killing in this movie, that, but the total tally is only 31. Which, oh. is, which was a, a, a little okay. surprise. Yeah, but some real broken limbs. I mean, he killed those guys at the mall. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the first striking one is the uh, when they have that confrontation with the the gang um, in Chico, where uh, he he grabs the sword and slices off that guy's hand. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, man. Yeah, the, they make it count when there's gore. It's like you really get to see gore. Yeah. And then yeah, we were talking about Jimmy Fingers getting shot in the head. Man. Yeah, right into the mirror in in a bikini uh, underwear, not a thong. <laughs> bikini cut oh. underwear. Corrections and retractions. Correction, retraction. Thank you. Yeah, um, Carlo, you had a piece of trivia about Seagal writing for this movie, right? Oh yeah, yeah. There was like a whole like protracted battle, and it it seems like appropriate for what's going on right now in present day with the the Writers Guild. So he there's two script right, credited script writers for Mark for Death. And Seagal claims that he actually rewrote the script. Like, I think the exact number was he rewrote 93% of it and that he should get credit for the, the screenplay. Oh, yeah. So it got, like, you know, a whole, like, case, and he lost. <laughs> That's why he's, um, yeah, he's not credited for um, for writing it. But you He know, was also the- credited for writing the Jimmy Cliff song in uh, right. with Jimmy Cliff for writing John yeah. Crow that Jimmy Cliff uh, performs in Jamaica when Seagal meets the chick that tells him where Screwface's compound is. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I think also just I some evidence, like the proof in the pudding that he probably did have a hand in the right thing is because of the way he delivers the lines. Like, it, it feels like it's it, it's something that he would be proud of that he wrote. <laughs> you know, that's that's the sense that I get from from his line deliveries. All right, so once we get through here, we get to the car chase scene, and we get oh, to where man. they, they kind of crash into the jewelry store. I feel like this is like early John Wick. This seems like a very difficult uh, kind of roundabout way to protect this suburban town by <laughs> destroying it with a like a Ford or Bronco or Chevy Blazer and driving on the sidewalks and literally wrecking the mall <laughs> to kill two men. Uh, in front of everybody and walk away with no police presence. <laughs> I, want, I want to ask you guys, though, before we even get to that uh, whole mall part, um, did you guys notice something on the streets of Chicago during the car chase? Who was it? There were, like, palm trees lining the streets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, because this was not... All, I mean, parts of it were shot in Chicago, but that specific chase scene, actually the part where they do the jump, in the park, it was in Pasadena. Like I thought, I thought, yeah, that looks familiar. That looks like South Pasadena. Like I've been to that part. Right. And then the the bulk of that chase goes along Wilshire, like you know, and the the mall is basically the Wilshire Galleria. Yeah. Yeah. That's where they end up. 
but it's still supposed to be sub- suburban Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I really like the the fight scene once they once they get to the jewelry store. This is where you, you know Seagal really starts to break out the Aikido and uh, like the wrist locks and yeah, he's very. Uh, there's very few moments in this movie where Seagal is physically at risk, where he is not in control mm-hmm. of the situation. Uh, a, a fight with one of the screw faces comes to mind. You know, where the screw face got a couple shots in on Seagal and like bonked him through a wall or something. But other than that, you know, Seagal really kind of physically humiliates everybody he comes up against in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he one of my favorite, touched. yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite moments during the fight is after he throws one of the guys, like, I think you hear like a shotgun like being shot at him. And then he does like this weird hand swipe as if he could like swipe the bullet <laughs> oh, yeah. away. And was, <laughs> he, he can. No doubt. <laughs> Who's to say he can't? Yeah. What's the matter with you? Yeah. Seagal wrote this movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so does Seagal have a signature move? Is that wrist lock where he then kind of spins the guy around almost like a dance partner? Is that The signature move yeah. uh, he broke out in the movie that you said was made uh, the same year where he plays Mason Storm oh, and Hard yeah. to Kill mm. and, and throws everybody through every window in the Bonaventure. Uh, is uh, is the pull you into me and clothesline you? That's his move. That's yeah, awesome. and uh, and and he does it about four hundred times in this movie to about every Jamaican actor, you know, west of the Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, there's there's an element of it of basically using the other person's like forward momentum and energy to like flip that on them and then literally flip them. Yeah. Sweet, dude. Yeah, he's he's the master, no doubt. Uh, once we get through this, then Screwface sets that construction trap on him where the, oh, they kind of God. pin him. Yeah, oh, he has to. I, it's interesting to watch him chop at the window. It's very. It's a. It seems. It seems like the most futile effort. But he gets out with his feet. Yeah, but I was. I felt like I was missing something here. Did they like glue his doors? Like he couldn't open it because. That- well, no. I mean, when you crush a car like that. The doors won't open because you know you've 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 basically closed them by crushing the car. But before that even happens, because the bulldozer is not moving very fast. Ah, uh, dude, they, a lot it of put time. pressure on Seagal. Can't get out. Clearly, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with yeah, you. He's like yeah. palming both sides. Like he's he's like trying to do some sort of like force where the door oh, will yeah. like both doors will just blow open, and obviously it's not working. Yeah. Oh but, man! But yeah, if it, but if not for Seagal Vision, his ability to kind of see that opening that only he could get through, you know, he's able to escape. And yeah, they um, destroy his Mustang, man. Yeah, that beautiful Mustang. And again, just another tie into like a John Wick kind of. Uh, yeah, he has that cool black car. Yep. I mean, I I really think uh, Stallone started this with Cobra, though. That you know, having the you know, you're like the dandy cop with the cool car. <laughs> You know, sure. uh, yeah, that's well. He's not a cop. Well, yeah, he's a, he's DEA, a DEA agent. agent. <laughs> that's true. All right, and then after this, we get um, some really fun mission prep scenes. I always like some mission prep where they just get oh, where he done. shoots the giant slab of fat. Yeah, where do you go to get a huge slab of fat? I was going to ask to you, demonstrate please. to your friends how sweet your silencer is. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty yeah, sweet, I, you know. Yeah, yeah, so. it's like the the equivalent of a training montage for like Rocky. And you know, that's that whole thing where he was training with slabs of meat too. So maybe he might have been like paying tribute to that 
by having a slab of meat that he can just shoot up. But yeah, I love sequences like this. Like when when people are prepping weapons, you know, like sharpening bullets, like all these things. Like yeah, mm-hmm. I I just eat this up. Oh yeah. I was surprised that they were going to Jamaica. I mean, I remember when mm. I found out they were going to Jamaica. I was really excited, and I just couldn't believe that they were gonna go to Jamaica. And then we get like the Jamaican scenes where they're like, you know, a life is hard here. And and they try to and they go glean information in Jamaica from the backwoods guy and the chick at the Jimmy Cliff Club, and uh, that was a real that was very scintillating for me mm. as a young man. That was one of my favorite parts of this movie when they were uh, moving around in Kingston trying to find Screwface. Yeah, that lady had a real thing for Seagal, just spotted him across yeah. the room and just wanted to give him the info. Oh, and the yeah. dancing, you know, the 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 the, yeah. the, 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 the swaying style dance mm-hmm. and the shirtless suit yeah. that Seagal had on. Oh. And she's like, you know, I don't care him selling drugs. Yeah. It's part of doing business. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a that's a that's a strong moment. And I remember, you know, that conversation with, with Seagal was in the trailer. Uh that we saw, you know, leading up to this movie, mm. which I'm sure we saw on opening weekend. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, and then here in the Jamaican, uh, you know, fight scene, once they finally get to uh, Screwface, this is where there's the big, sh- the big compound shootout, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he has the infrared glasses yeah. made famous by Delta Force. Heck yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. funny how like there's there's a couple of prep things that are established with so the night vision and then the silencer, and he pretty much just like throws that away, uh, like after a few seconds, like. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Not needed because once they kill a bunch of dudes and they get through, then you get the big Aikido scene where he's just like throwing dudes around, uh, in sort of an interior room before they get to a uh, to Screwface. Like that's one of like the best fight scenes, like right there. Oh yeah. Yeah, he twists a bunch of guys into a pretzel. <laughs> Heck yeah. But then ultimately Screwface gets the upper hand and um they they kind of hold they have him I believe tied down and you get this little fun interaction. This is the last quote I got pulled. Here we go. Welcome to I Island. Fuck you. You a woman? You know what you is. You is a dog after bone and you have no teeth. Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, good shit. Yeah, that's uh, that's they're pulling from uh, a, like a Peter Tosh song, which and they use a Peter Tosh song, a really good Peter Tosh song when uh when they're approaching the compound called Stepping Razor, mm. and uh, but I think that he's quoting like Magadog, Misari fi Magadog, uh, if you and uh, that's uh. Kind of like Screwface talks in a lot of like really kind of campy Jamaican puns that you would expect like a white guy to write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of one of them, uh, right? You know, use a dog with no teeth. <laughs> and great, great response from Seagal. Just a real strong fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so ultimately, you know, this fight scene, he escapes pretty easily, easily kind of lops off Screwface's head. and then Not before chopping his nuts. That's right. <laughs> Solid nut chop. And uh, and bam, just like a quick cut, and we're back to Chicago. Like nothing happened. With with the head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Charles, Charles has it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, 
I'd never seen this movie before, so this was my first time watching it, and I was like nice. shocked by that. I was like, "That's it!" Like it seemed like that—that's the boss battle that we've been building up to. And then, but yeah, I was like, "Okay, there's more to this movie coming up," and then we get that reveal. Well, they had to show that their magic was strong, so they needed right. to show Screwface's head to the posse. Back in Jamaica, because I'm sure word wouldn't have reached them. Like, hey, that guy came down here and killed all of us. <laughs> they needed to chop Screwface on the nuts, yeah. and then chopped off his head. <laughs> you know, it's more necessary to get that head in. A, I don't know right. if you check the head or you or you put it yeah. in an overhead. Yeah, your hand I, carry. <laughs> yeah, it looked like they flew commercial down there. Yeah. Uh, so the head is back. In Chicago, maybe they sent ahead and met it. <laughs> UPS at FedEx. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DHL, you know, in those days. Mm -hmm. uh, but either way, they show up with the head. And really, I hated seeing the Jamaican cop. You know, my man, Screwface is my life. I'm a Jamaican cop. You know, that guy, I, I hated to see him yeah. Uh, yeah. killed with a sword uh, unnecessarily. Yeah. And then get called Judas. Yeah. Tough way to go. Yeah, and then at the end, after Seagal takes care of the other screw face, which we can also discuss, oh, yes. uh, they, the other guy uh, is just carrying the dead body of the Jamaican yeah. cop out. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, what did you guys do with the head? Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Where's the body? Yeah. Like, doesn't Screwface deserve a proper... I guess not. You know, he tried to shoot Seagal's knees. I guess so. So, yeah, we get this last fight scene. Kind of, kind of a funny way to end the movie. That's like martial arts and guns to end with a sword fight, but you know, was pretty cool. Well, you got to show all Seagal's skills. Yeah. You know, that's what's my. Yeah. They showed his, uh, his, you know, twisty skills, his clothesline skills, his firearm skills, his quip after killing you skills, oh, yeah. his <laughs> break your arm off and uh, <laughs> put you in terrible pain skills, and. You know, but she still wants you to know that he can handle a sword. Yeah. And uh, so he gets involved with Screwface, I believe, on the same dance floor that Jimmy Fingers was rubbing up on that chick to a Jimmy Cliff song earlier in the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And in I, the club. I was trying, it kind of looked familiar. I thought it might be the Mayan that's in downtown LA. It kind of looks like that stage. It had those, those accents. Yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. Nice. Um, that's a good yeah. either. Yeah, and this time, I, what happens to Screwface here? He gets his eyes poked out. <laughs> yeah, he, he, oh, yeah, he gets horror the movie gouge. level horror. Like, and I think the director of this movie was a horror director, right? Like, I think he directed Hall like one of the Halloweens, right? Yeah, yeah, that was actually the movie that convinced Steven Seagal that oh, I need this guy to direct this movie. <laughs> See, I can tell you the sequence. Mm. He pokes Screwface's eyes out. Oof. Then he breaks his back yeah, like, on his knee like, like a doll. Yeah. And then he throws him into the elevator yeah. shaft, only to be impaled on a giant pole down on the bottom. In yeah. front of all of his friends. <laughs> and that showed the magic of Screwface was gone. Yeah. Hence, the shower posse was eliminated. Mm. In real life, uh, the guy that uh, was running the shower posse, uh, his nickname was Jim Brown. Uh and uh, he uh, he was uh, arrested and to be extradited and the to the U.S. And the day before he was extradited, figure this one out: he burst into flames inside a Jamaican cell and burned to death. Oh Dang. man, tough break! Right? Wow! Right? Like, how often does that happen? Where a guy just 
you know, burst into flames. Uh, and, and then uh, his son, almost the same thing uh, happened to his son. Uh, his son feared that fate, but uh, his son, Christopher Koch, was uh, extradited and has been in the United States uh, custody maybe for like 10 years and has spoken like three words. Oh, man. <laughs> Not kidding. And that that's what this is based on. Mm -hmm. Lester Koch would have been uh, Lester Koch or Jim Brown would have been the uh, would have been the guy. And there's no way Seagal could have infiltrated the compound, which was literally a garrison and is a garrison in Jamaica called Tivoli Gardens. Mm. He would have died. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in, in this one, he successfully kills the main players, walks out and kind of a quick, quick, let's get the F out of here ending. No checkup on the sister, no checkup on Danielle Harris, and and we're done. Yeah, we're done yeah. because we've defeated the posse. Uh, I mean, I believe he did. He did have sex with the uh, the chick that the the historic the history well, the anthropology lady. Are you lady sure or about whatever. that, Pete? It feels it feels <laughs> yeah. it's like kind of a sexless movie. It, I don't know because she was like, he looks fully functional to me. Remember that? She was super into it, and he goes and, visit, yeah. and visits her, and I think she, yeah, I think she does put some moves on, but he, he, he seems too busy. He seems too occupied. Yeah, I think he was, he was, he was spent from hard to kill. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a lot of labrocking. Yeah, you know, and that's what nurses nurses do that all the time yeah. to people that are in a coma. By the way, they just look at their penis and make under the breath comments to themselves. Essential. Yeah. They are essential, no doubt. He's got a lot to live for. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, yeah, any other, I guess, final takeaways from Seagal? I mean... Well, it took me forever to find this soundtrack. Uh, I think Matt had to order it for me on Amazon or something mm. via CD. Oh, wow. Uh, and I had it uh, put into my computer. Uh, I just loved the movie. I loved anything at the time that celebrated Jamaica. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of stuff that was pretty interesting. And the uh, the soundtrack is really good. And there's a great Jimmy Cliff performance in the movie. And, you know, Seagal, what can I say? One of the great actors of our time. Right. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, this is a great one. I think this is definitely up there in my top three Seagulls after this rewatch. It, it definitely holds up. It's fun to watch. Like I can watch it similar to like a Commando, where it's just um, there's it's crazy violent, but it's also just so fun. Yeah. Long live John Hatcher. That's Let's right. get a sequel. That's right. <laughs> All right. To wrap up, the last thing we do here, P, is we uh, we have we do a wine pairing. Where we, oh, wine! Where we suggest a movie that would pair with this oh. movie, kind of similar to a wine. So, oh, okay. Do you have a a movie that you think might pair well with uh, Marked for Death? I do. Uh, this is a good one. Uh, Theodoros Bafalukos, <laughs> a Greek a Greek filmmaker, made the 1978 Jamaican film Rockers, and. Uh, this is a great movie mm. if you love uh, reggae music because it's all cast with mostly reggae stars playing themselves. Wow. Uh, and it's kind of like a Robin Hood story, and the music totally. is is stupid good. Uh, Leroy Horsemouth Wallace, the drummer who's still alive, it plays himself. He's like the, the protagonist, uh, Dirty Harry. Mm. Uh, Richard Dirty Harry Hall, who was a saxophone player for Peter Tosh, 
uh, Gregory Isaacs, one of the great singers in the history of Jamaica, yeah. Jacob Miller. Yeah. Uh, they all play themselves. Robbie Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yeah, I saw that too. That yeah, uh, Burning Spear, Big Youth. Wow. Yeah. I mean, what Dillinger. Uh, everybody and their mom is in this movie, and they all perform, and it's a joyful movie. It's uh, it's funny. It's uh, pretty lighthearted, yeah. and uh, just to just to see this Greek, the, the just the opening scene is, uh, I think the Abyssinians are one of those uh, kind of a Rasta drum circle bands, and uh, they're playing uh, with the bongos and stuff, and they break into uh, there is a land far far away. And this guy comes up and does like this Rasta chanting and stuff. And uh, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, it's a really fun movie. So if you like the Jamaican stuff in this movie that is kind of contrived and, and and stereotyping Jamaicans as criminals, see another movie where it's a bunch of singers stereotyping Jamaicans <laughs> yeah. as criminals. Totally. That, oh, that's crazy, man. Pete, because that's the one I had written down too with wow. Rockers. So. To, to suggest another one, I guess I'll, I'll suggest Commando as uh, just something similar. <laughs> I've mentioned it a thousand off times some al- already. Yeah, but um, yeah. yeah, rockers. You know, it's yeah, kind of like what you're saying. It's uh celebrates Jamaican culture in, in a different way than uh than maybe what we saw here in Marked for Death. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna check this out now. That that's a nice deep cut. I feel. Yeah, we can maybe and, do an app on that one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Let's do it. Um, yeah, my wine pairing is actually a recent series. <laughs> it's not Ooh. even a movie because, I mean, this is kind of a lost art now. We we don't really get this type of action and this kind of style anymore. It's like, you know, the, the death of the movie star kind of uh, deal. So uh, what I would actually wine pair with this is the, the, show, the Amazon show um, Reacher. Have either of you watched it? Jack, oh, the the one that's more uh, kind of a little bit more uh, to the books, where Jack Reacher's like a big dude. Yeah, yeah, he's played not by a Alan, punk Alan Richton. Yeah, and I yeah. I really feel like that show is like a throwback to these these action movies where you got the big burly dude, seemingly like indestructible, mm-hmm. um, not as much quips, but like yeah, it's a it it's straight to the point, and the action is fantastic. Well, show. if I could add one more, uh, since you know whatever, uh, <laughs> the book uh, "Brief History of Seven Killings" by mm. Marlon James is a really interesting, fairly modern uh, take on the assassination on Bob Marley oh, wow. and the Shower Posse, and you know he changes the names and stuff, but it is a really comprehensive, brilliant uh, work of historic fiction, kind of. Uh, uh, called A Brief History of Seven Killings by Marlon James, who's a Jamaican guy whose parents were both uh, detectives in uh, in Kingston. So that would be, uh, if you're interested in the, in this movie, that would be uh, something to read. It's not brief, and a lot more than seven people die. Okay. <laughs> well, spoiler. Sweet. Well, Pete, thanks thanks for, uh, for coming on and chopping it up with us. I know you're busy. Yeah, and, uh, thank you. Man, like you're you're a wealth of knowledge on movies and media, and uh, it was great. Thanks, man. Yeah, we'd love that. Right well, here. we I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, and enjoy your day. And let me know next time you guys want to talk about a movie. Okay, so yeah, that was our conversation with Petros. Yeah, talking high, about Mark for Death. High energy. 
He uh, <laughs> he certainly he brought really it. Is, yeah. You know, I think I you know I was feeling I think a, a little more like, hey, we're gonna settle in, and you know, he just comes with that AM sports talk energy. <laughs> oh yeah, just yeah. like <laughs> man, you can really tell he's you know he's he's logged his ten thousand hours as a broadcaster. Oh yeah, for sure. So funny, so clever. And um, yeah, it was really awesome having him on and talking Marks for Death. Like, what a fun movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we just kind of breezed through it and he kind of, <laughs> yeah, he had his own flow and I, we kind of didn't want to interrupt that. Sure. Um, but uh, we do have some leftovers. Let's hit it. Uh, that Yeah, we wanted to bring up. It's time for Movie Food Leftovers. All right, Carlo. Yeah, what uh, what are some leftovers you have for Marked for Death? Uh, it's just one anecdote. Cool. So, um, yeah, the the one that that I enjoyed the most uh, from the IMDb trivia. Oh, good. Was the um, the the story of of the chokehold. <laughs> yeah. So to, yeah, yeah. To illustrate the details, um, Steven Seagal apparently claimed during uh, due to his Aikido training that he was immune. <laughs> <laughs> to being choked unconscious. Of course, yeah. So the stunt coordinator for the movie, uh, Gene LaBelle, was like, okay, all right, uh, let's prove it. So um, <laughs> he, I love he gave yeah. Seagal uh, a chokehold, and based on varying accounts, well, okay, mm-hmm. the the sure thing that we know is that he passed out. He was not <laughs> immune to it. But there, there's other details to it which are just crazy, which is like that, he apparently like pissed himself and yeah. defecated himself as well. <laughs> like he shit his pants, and yeah. there's this whole thing. Like you know, if you're on like Steven Seagal's hit list, like forget about what's in the movies. Like in real life, like he will fuck you up. Like he's a big guy, yeah. you know. Um, and you're like, if you're on his shit list, like it's just like you're your persona non grata. So. In in various interviews with Gene LaBelle, he's like very like cautious about talking with, about it. He tiptoes around it. He won't confirm that this is what happened. Um, yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, oh yeah, we have a difference of opinion. You know, and <laughs> there were like thirty people watching it. You know, all the crew witnessed this, so it's yeah. not just him. Like you can corroborate this with other people. And, you know, knowing Seagal's reputation, and I kind of hinted at it at the beginning of our conversation with P, is that, um, you know, that uh, it's not a popular thing to to like Seagal and, you know, obviously his movies because, yeah, in real life he is an asshole, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's also a liar. And then there's this whole thing, like, I guess if we ever get into these other movies, like with, with Hard to Kill... Uh, which I I really enjoy. Sure. But, you know, there's just, like, these stories of, like, him kind of, you know, harassing a lot of female cast members, and that makes it even more bizarre with uh, with Hard to Kill because he's with his wife, Kelly LeBrock, in it. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, so it's, like, happened under his watch, under her watch. So, yeah, so you can't trust anything Seagal says, and I believe <laughs> the other stories of people are saying... Uh, but apparently, uh, at least the one thing that was confirmed because uh, one of um, uh, Jean LaBelle's trainees was Ronda Rousey. And uh, she said that, yeah, it, she verified it. But like, you know, um, <laughs> she she said apparently that he didn't, you know, he didn't um, piss himself or Damn. shit his pants. 
Oh. I, I'm not sorry. I, I'm, mix, I'm mixing that up. No, Ronda Rousey did not confirm that. It was somebody else named Steve Lambert. Okay. Another. Um, yeah. Uh, so he saw it, and he was the one who said like he didn't shit in his pants or piss yeah. himself, but he definitely passed out. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's, it's really funny with rumors like this. You know, in one sense, you wish there was more cell phone cameras to kind of capture it to see oh it. Oh my god! But on the other hand, it's kind of fun that it was not captured. So it yeah. just kind of can exist in this limbo, and we can we all have a different image. Of mm. what happened to Steven Seagal, and, yeah. and and isn't that not like what makes it fun? Is it you know like in my chokehold that you know he's he's like hunched over with like poop <laughs> all down his pants and like farting. <laughs> I don't even say, he's drooling. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm imagining. It's like, oh yeah, just really embarrassing. But <laughs> but in his mind, you know, he's having almost like a like a death dream. You know, like while you're passing out, he's imagining you know doing all of his his moves you know his aikido stuff on the guy and so it, yeah. it, in his mind it's straight up marked for death but in in, in, yeah. in real life it's something else yeah no yeah it, it really is something that i love is that whole print the legend thing you mm-hmm. know that we we just can't do now because yeah. it's like pics or it didn't happen exactly <laughs> exactly so yeah but yeah, that's my one leftover cool. for Mark for Death. Cool. I got a couple also from the uh, the IMDb trivia, which again, you know, with the trivia, I you know, it's, it's hard to know how how many of these are real or or just yeah. yeah. Let's just say too, these are written by just users. Yeah. This is, I mean, there there are like moderators who like basically screen um, these these things, but most of the time, a lot of things just fly. Like, you can see, like, I guess one example you can use, actually, just by looking at it is, look at how certain actors' heights, like, fluctuate. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, The Rock has been, like, 6'2 to, like, 6'5, and I we, I just don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. How tall is The Rock? Like, you know, it's just, like, it's just because the users are just, like, messing with it. Yeah. It's like Wikipedia, actually. IMDb is a lot like Wikipedia, yeah. except that they don't have the same verification process that w- Wikipedia is. Like, there's no, like citation needed on, yeah. <laughs> on imdb trivia so, all right well so, so so this very much sounds like somebody is is somebody is having a fun on mm-hmm. the trivia but it sounds real enough that it has a lot of likes um Steven, oh yeah this, that's the other thing i like the yeah uh you know somebody out you know this many people out of this many people found it interesting yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so really funny yeah yeah so this one is nine out of eleven found it interesting Okay, uh, Steven Seagal. Nine <laughs> eleven. Yeah, nine eleven. Oh, never forget. Yeah, Steven Seagal made several crank calls to Predator Two director Stephen Hawking's, bragging that Mark for Death made more money than Predator Two. <laughs> hey, Steven, <laughs> we made yeah. more money than you. We, <laughs> we made more money. Um, oh, and then man. okay, a couple more. Uh, as part of his contract, Steven Seagal insisted on wearing his embroidered dragon shirt. Which, yes, I love this one. <laughs> yeah, which he got while on vacation. Um, and the director tried to explain it doesn't fit his character or the plot, but uh, Seagal was insistent that he had such a great holiday that, and the souvenir was really important to him. And if he couldn't wear it, he'd do the film but act confused <laughs> instead of angry. <laughs> So, oh man! So nobody has found this one interesting. So it makes me think it's not real, but it sounds awesome. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm gonna mark it as interesting right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah, um, that's so good because that's like a conversation I would love to have heard. Like how he reasoned that. Like yeah. Just... <laughs> yeah. And oh, then um, man. you know, just real quick, you know, the one scene we kind of breezed over is the scene where um, Screwface and his crew to get revenge on Hatcher, they break into his sister's house and like kind of start to like do like a ceremony on her. Yeah. Like take off her shirt, but not fully. And they're like making markings. And then he like figures out that they're there and he comes in and saves her. And then you never see the sister again. That's it's a little bit of what you're talking about of a, uh, like all those scenes where Seagal is hanging out with the historian mm. kind of feels like one of those breaks where it, the movie kind of loses some momentum. Yeah. It's so bizarre. Mm. And uh, I mean, to me, actually the, the first part that um, I felt that lull was the, was the, the discussion with the chief you know, when he goes into, when he's back in Chicago. Oh, and right. I was like, yeah, does, is this scene really necessary? And it's just a weird thing where I don't know, he was like contractually obligated to deliver an hour and a half movie. Oh, right. And like, um, you know, certain things had to go, but it's just like the choices for <laughs> what had to go and what's left in is just bizarre. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, Yeah, but I definitely I'm happy that they got it down to an hour and a half because it it makes you know it just makes it uh, just easy to digest and talk about after and and also to like recall everything. Um, Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, any more time we spend with Seagal is just too much. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I I, you know I mentioned I'm I'm going through kind of like a mini retrospective of mm-hmm. his his work but i'm only sticking mostly to like the the early stuff mm-hmm. um uh but yeah i i can't do more than one yeah <laughs> in a night like that's it for me i'm done for the one i've one seen night. so many times is under siege but mm, but yeah. i but i feel like i could I, I i am due for a revisit of like out for justice and hard to kill oh man yeah, this was a is it was a remarkable run. I mean, he really yeah. just uh, yeah he 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 was riding the wave yeah. here, you know. Well, um, well, speaking of run, um, just real quick, the last the last leftover I got for this is so th- I mentioned in our conversation with Petros the website All Out of Bubblegum. This is like kind of like a newer discovery. It's kind of a website that just like seems like they they just tally movie stats. Um, in a kind of a neat way. And one of the stats that they tally is how many people have been killed in each movie. And then also how many people each actor has killed over their career. Mm -hmm. Nice. So I was shocked. Steven Seagal has, uh, you do you want to just take a blind step at how many people he's killed in over the course of his movie career? Hmm. Um, I can't even remember the number we had for this movie in, in Mark for Death. It was 31. 31. Okay. <laughs> it's funny. I was thinking 131. That was the number in my head. Well, yeah. So he only killed 100 I more remember people. you pointed out that I think in our Commando episode, I think it was like somewhere around 109, something, you know. Somewhere for Arnie alone. There. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Yeah, I'm guessing Seagal movies don't really have a high body count. They have a lot of high injury or critical right, limbs, you know, yeah. condition yeah. <laughs> counts, but not a lot of people die. I mean, obviously the boss has to die, like the main villain mm-hmm. has to die. That's like, uh, you know, um, a requirement. But other than that, like, yeah, I think a lot of the henchmen, you think they might have survived it, even with the broken limbs for some reason? Yeah. Um. Yeah, let's just say he 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 killed around two hundred sixty people, total. Eight hundred and eighty-two is what? what this website has for his total body what? count. Um, oh man! Oh, okay. Well, also, I'll say he's he's actually made a lot of crappy movies in yeah, recent years. Exactly. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> it's hard. I, I was just thinking, I guess, of that run in the nineties. Um, wow. Yeah, okay. it's uh yeah, so yeah, it, it's it, it runs does deep. It, does the website say where he ranks all time on the website? Does it say yeah, where I he ranks? I don't know if time? they have like an all-time oh, kill count by actor. They <laughs> just have incredible. it. Oh, well, yeah, like you got there's, the rankings. There's someone named uh Queenit Arkin. Mm. I don't know this actor. But it looks like he's killed over nineteen hundred people. That might be <laughs> that might be the most. The um, Brendan. It's, this thing says Okay, this thing says Brendan Fraser's killed thirteen hundred. How the hell is Brendan oh, Fraser? Oh wow! Oh oh, Maybe the, the mummy, mummy movies returns. Yeah, have a high body count. The mummy yeah. returns. Yeah, he killed twelve hundred people in the mummy returns. Okay. Oh yeah, that's definitely gonna you know that's boost gonna those skew numbers up. Your, your numbers. <laughs> but um. What's interesting was I was looking at his numbers compared to like Arnold. Mm. So he so Seagal's at eight eighty two, Arnold's at eight ninety five, and Stallone's at eight ninety three. So like they're all Whoa. in the same kind of mix, which is kind of funny because like you know Arnold and Stallone are are definitely linked in a lot of people's minds, and Seagal right. was kind of at the tail end of that. So you know in a way it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder because, you know, these guys obviously are got to the point where they could have, like, you know, contractual clauses of what they wanted. And I wonder if that was one of them that were like, yeah, what's the body count that, like, Stallone is at? Okay, I want more. Yeah, it's like they're they're keeping track of each other's stats. It's so <laughs> funny. Wanna... Yeah. Wow. Um, in looking at his whole movie career, it's – it's just it's just death by a thousand cuts. It's like four, mm. 14, 59, 33, 24, 14, 22, but it just goes on. Yeah, and those on are and on. low. Yeah. Yeah, those are really low, but it's just yeah, over time he's just accumulating. Yeah, it's just man, and just yeah, I've just been hearing bad things about all like just the recent movies they're just saying he's just lazy. Yeah. Like there's a fight scene in one movie where he never even gets up like he's just sitting in a chair fighting somebody <laughs> like, it's just it's gotten that ridiculous oh yeah you know it's just he just doesn't give a shit anymore so you know and, well he, he's definitely moving around and doing what he what he can in this one and, he, and you know yeah. for, for, you know he's fairly charming um mm-hmm. and it was a fun suggestion from petros but um yeah maybe now is a good time just to get into like how the hell did we get petros um yeah, yeah. Let, let's hear the story, Steve. So yeah, so so yeah. I used to live in SoCal, and um, as part of my regular, just kind of routine, and this is in like the mid two thousands. 
I was a sports fan and I would listen to AM sports talk radio. So this is like 2004 through 2009. And um, Petros is, was, is a broadcaster and him and Matt money Smith started a show in 2007 in Southern California called the Petros and money show. Again, at that time, it's just a daily af- drive time afternoon radio show on AM but they were doing something really fun and unique. They were actually being really funny. They were mixing in pop culture. I kind of described their show as the show for people that like sports but don't like sports fans. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's I know like the type. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then we have a lot of that in LA. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um and God, just you know, it's just such a funny show. And as they would kind of go. And then I guess on the side, you know, just a parallel to me listening to them was also, I was in a lot of bands, um, Mm. you know, like uh, I was in rock bands really since I was like a teenager. And one of my bands was, had just ended in in 2006. So I think I was just kind of looking for new creative ways to kind of make music. And I was listening to their show and they had a segment and I think they just randomly said, Oh, we should make you a jingle for this segment, like talking to their producer. Yeah. And I didn't really think much of it that first time, but then like maybe a couple of weeks or like a month went by and, and they said it a second time, I think. And it was that second time where I realized, Oh, no one at their station is just going to like do it for them. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I could, and, and again, this is 2007, where where they had, they I think they had just started their show in January yeah. of that year, so it, they were still small enough where you could like reach them fairly easily. Nice. And so I remember just kind of just quickly whipping up a jingle, kind of first thought, best thought, kind of a thing. Right. Emailed it, and they used it like within like the next two days. And they were giving wow. me shout outs and, and like, I remember it was like really exciting to hear my, to hear my name and to hear something I made on not just the radio, but on arguably my favorite show, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's so. amazing. Yeah. And then a couple of years went by with, or maybe a year. And then I went to a, a radio remote and got to meet them and they were very, just very encouraging. Hey, send us more if you got any more. And, and so it just kind of was like this nice, easy relationship. I never got too involved with the show. I just kind of kept it very easy and remote, would send them things. I, it, was never, it was never homework. Like they never asked me for anything. So I, I, I wasn't trying to meet any deadlines. It was just whenever the creative juices would hit, I would send them a jingle for whatever the segment was. Fantastic. And, and so it just kind of grew and grew, and uh, we've maintained a texting relationship, very casual. And so I think because of that, it's just been like a nice, easy relationship. They're they're very nice guys. Like both of them, they kind of they're kind of like really nice guys acting like they're jerks, like or <laughs> who, who are like pretending like they're jerks, but they're actually nice. You know what I mean? Right. You know, like kind of like how Petros. He's a smart guy, kind of pretending to be a dumb guy. Yeah. And it really comes through in the interview, you know, the way he's able to tie in his past with Jamaican culture, with humor, with music history, with, with, uh, he's also a reader. Yeah. It's um, really, yeah. Surprising. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's exactly. It's like, he's a real Renaissance man. And yeah. so, yeah, just with maintaining that 
that jingle relationship and just over the years, you know, he was kind enough to, to help me promote my EP when it came out and was kind enough to jump on movie food. And it sounds like he might come back if we do rockers or something else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, again, I guess maybe this is a tie into internet archive or Mm. archive.org. You know, that would have been a great resource for those early episodes from 2006 with your right. jingles on it you know like because yeah. you know one of the things they save on on internet archive which i actually downloaded to save it now is um uh you know patrice o'neill had a radio show on sirius xm mm. called the black philip show no and way. yeah cool. it's so good i mean you know i mean people hate it for you know politically sure. politically correct reasons but anyway um yeah it, it's great it, like that's the value of it and yeah i mean but you did send me a link of him talking about movies. Like, I think he was talking about things to do in Denver when you're dead, which is right. very appropriate because of the upcoming Nuggets Lakers series nuggets. at that point. And now, you know, we know that uh, it's now the Lakers who are dead. That's along right. With the King. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, and, yeah. And that's kind of where I had the idea to reach out to him was because I realized. Okay. Yeah, I was going to get to that. Was that he he had been doing movie segments for a couple of years now. Mm. And and you know there's there's a lot of time constraints on AM radio. Sure. You yeah. Know, yeah. You have to hit you know all the different breaks and everything. Um. And but even with those constraints, he's so skilled at kind of working in a movie that he wants to talk about, and he ties it into sports somehow. You yeah. know. Um. And so it just kind of you know I I think he's kind of one of those guys who he would love to talk about something other than sports. And so I sure. think the opportunity <laughs> yeah. to talk about a movie like The Marked for Deaths, you know, it's just a classic, yeah. just a fun movie to talk about. You know? Yeah, because, yeah, I don't think we even bring up sports once in the whole conversation. No. Like, it's all, yeah, I think just him having that unadulterated time and not have to tie it into a sports conversation, I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think that was probably refreshing for him. For sure. Um yeah, and I mean, Rockers is even further out there because, yeah, like I, I was surprised at that deep cut that he made in the wine pairing. So, yeah, yeah, we'll definitely have him back for that. And um, Ooh. so, Steve, that that link you sent me, like, does Fox, like, archive their older episodes? Can you can people I go think, back and listen to I your jingles? I think you can go back a couple years, but I think, okay. the, I think the, all the old stuff is gone. Man. I don't know how far back you can go. Oh wow! I was so excited every time, like like I got a new jingle on. I have my own like archive of like mm. maybe some of those first appearances of a new jingle. They would, you know, they had their show. They would put it out as a podcast, but then maybe within a year that those podcasts would be gone. Yeah, yeah, they were on those servers that only kept yeah. like a certain amount of episodes, exactly. and then you had to clear it to make yeah. room for the new ones. So 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 like I have some old archives, but mm. yeah, it's but it's it's not going to be online. Oh man! Until I post it on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bring <laughs> yeah. it back, man. Archive.org. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. Yeah, well, as long as it's still there, you know. Cool. All right, so we made it, Steve. Another Ooh. one in the books. One in the books. And, this was a fun yeah. one. Yeah, and new format for us too. Um, yeah, unusual format. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think we, we wrapped it up nicely. I love that we blended high art and entertainment again, <laughs> like, That's you know, right. all in one episode. Yeah. I really like our kind of highbrow, lowbrow vibe. Like it's yeah. good. That's yeah. what movie food's all about, man. Heck yeah. 
Yeah. Well, good, man. So let's get it into our business, Carlacho. Let's go. You can follow us. You can follow us on Twitter, at MovieFoodPod. You can follow Carlo's great Twitter, at CarloKino with two Ks. You can follow me on Twitter, at SteVePositron. You can follow Petros at the old P on Twitter or the Petros and money show is also a great Twitter feed and just a great show. Check out his podcast. He's awesome. Um, you can support our show uh, at our Patreon. Help us keep the lights on. Sometimes we'll put little extras there, but uh, it's uh, patreon.com slash movie food. Carlo's got a letterbox where you can follow all of his movie action, movie reviews, watch lists at Astrofish, F-I-S-C-H. You can check out my Mosh Pit YouTube channel at Pit Hits. And that is it. All right. Another one in the books. Thanks again, Steve. And thanks, P. All right. See ya. All right. See ya. Thank you.